Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. Go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And again, flying solo, cousin Shane, getting some rest and relaxation. Not really. He's spending time with the family. He's doing his actual job. But uh, we have an absolutely loaded show here as our SEC Media Days Rewind continues basically just going to do it just like the event. So we're going to hit on some Texas A&M, some LSU, some Missouri. We got coach comments, and we got tons of interviews to get to. Uh, This episode, we're going to feature our Cole Kubelik interview from Jocks, SEC Network, ESPN, The Cube Show. I mean, the guy is a freaking animal there. Uh, He does everything covering the SEC, so really Appreciate Cole spending some time with us. First time on the show. We'll get to that in a minute. Jesse Simonton from On3. He's blowing up. He's featured on the new uh, Andy Staples show over at uh, On3. Covers the entire SEC. Really great stuff here from Jesse. And a Billy Lucci interview. First time in a while we've had Billy on. He went on a deep dive on A&M. So love that. Gerard Hamilton, Power, Mizzou. Like I said, this show's absolutely loaded, so let's get right into it. Uh, Just one little news item we had here on Monday. Wanted to make note of this, but uh, if you missed it, College Game Day is headed to Charlotte, North Carolina for South Carolina versus North Carolina in the season opener. and It's a very surprising decision. I thought it was interesting... We were speaking to uh, Paul Feinbaum down at Media Days, and he had told me that was one that SEC Nation considered. If you missed the news, SEC Nation is going to be uh, week one in Nashville for Virginia versus Tennessee on a neutral field. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, "That's that can't be right. That's over the North Carolina-South Carolina game. But now it makes sense with college game day covering the game. That's one hell of a game. North Carolina, they're the point spread favorite. I know that doesn't mean much for uh, on the field or anything, but that has surprised us since it debuted, and it's going to add a little hype. Spencer Rattler versus Drake May in that big showcase game. People are tuning in, man. They want to watch what Shane Beamer and company got. Mac Brown, of course, these two met in a bowl game uh, two seasons ago. South Carolina won that one. They're going to win this opener here. Uh, with college game day in tow. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. Interesting selection there, neutral site matchup, but adds a little fuel to this South Carolina, North Carolina season opener. All right, so keeping these interviews at the front, all SECs, trying to hit on as many teams as we can. So first interview, let's kick it over. Cole Kublik, ESPN, SEC Network, Jocks. You know Cole. Come on now, former Auburn lineman. Talking all thing SEC with me and Cousin Shane. What, is this, what we got here? Is that uh, the Jocko, Jocko fuel? Yeah. Doc Savage. My brother says it's healthier than Diet Dew, so I'm trying it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've lost three pounds since I started drinking it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Cole Kubik, SEC Network yep. Jocks. I mean, how, how many titles you got right now? Um, just one. <laughs> 
<laughs> tired. <laughs> it's the only title I have right now. Uh, no, it's I mean, listen. It's fun. It's uh, love working with McElroy on Jocks every morning. Got the Cube Show podcast at Cube Show sixty one on YouTube. Hit that one up. Trying to catch up with you guys on subscribers. <laughs> we'll get there one day, maybe, probably not. Um, and then obviously doing games and everything. It's cool, man. I can't, I can't complain. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, fortunate. Oh, we went to dinner last night with uh, Pat Smith. I don't, you know, oh, him Pat's well. the best. Yeah, yeah, he was great, yeah. man. He was talking your praises up there at Jock. So I know you're doing well. Oh, what's your? What was he saying? He thinks I'm good. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a long list. He, he tells me I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like your coach back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, he, there'd be more expletives in there. For what, what my coach had to say. I tell people all the time is it's you know we talk about these kids today. Like I was coached by Rick Trick at first, and then Hugh Nall. And Rick Trickett called me the dumbest motherfucker he had ever coached every day for, like, two years. And it's at some point, it, what's weird is, like, at some point you kind of start believing it. You're like, well, he has told me that for three straight months. Like, maybe I am. Like, maybe I just can't learn these plays, you know? Yeah. So. My coach said I, I was slower in smoke off cow manure. So I've never seen smoke off cow manure, but I would imagine See, it's extremely not, slow. There's nothing better than those old, like, country sayings oh, like yeah. that. You yeah. know, like, I... And he used to say, uh, well, I probably can't say that one, but um, <laughs> he said, you know, I grew up in Homewood, which is, it's, it's, I live there now. It's, a, it's an amazing place, a suburb of Birmingham. And he used to say, you know, there's nothing but something in steers from Homewood. You know that, right? And I was like, there's actually not even steers in Homewood, man. Like, I, like I, what are you talking about? <laughs> have, you, have you been? Like, it's just not, this is not the middle of nowhere. But, yeah, you just. Awesome. People try to make sayings applicable to every place, right. and it's like, buddy, it doesn't it, work it, that it, way. It's it not it. During your playing careers, I've always wanted to – I like to ask ex-players this. Who's, who's the best lineman you went up against? Oh, man, there were so many. I played against Gerard Warren at Florida. He was a tilt nose. So that was in an, in an odd front, five-man front. That was essentially me on every play, me and him. He was the third pick in the draft out of Florida. Um, played against Cornelius Griffin in Alabama, who played for the Redskins for a while. He was really good. I mean, the toughest in, in and of itself, and it wasn't an individual, was Georgia because they had Richard Seymour, Marcus Stroud, Charles Grant. They had Boss Bailey. And then they had the defensive rookie of the year playing off the ball linebacker, Kendrell Bell, who led the league in sacks as a rookie for the Steelers who was by far the hardest I've ever been hit in my life. We were in a little inside zone. I'm scooping off. Guards helping me. And Kendrell Bell had no regard for where the play was going. He was just going to put his face mask in your chin and try to hurt you on every play. And I'm, come, like, I'm trying to fight off Marcus Stroud, who's a first-round pick yep. in his own right. And here comes Kendrell Bell just, wow! <laughs> and it's, you know, chin straps unbuckled. You're kind of wondering where you are. You're getting up, and you're like, God almighty. And we went for like seven yards. Like Heath Evans was our tailback at the time. And like he goes, and I was like, well, that's great. But I mean, damn. <laughs> it's like the ball's like you almost want him to make the right. tackle. Like, yeah. hey, bro, don't do that to me again. Like, tackle him. <laughs> Hardest I've ever been hit. There was a bunch, though, man. Like, the, did you go back, like, when you heard the word concussion? Because that wasn't a word growing up when I was in school. Oh, no, you yeah, were soft. You, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But when you discovered that word, you were like, oh, yeah, that's what that was. That's, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think that more. That makes sense. I think, I think more about it now, especially with all these transfers, when I'm like, um, that guy from Louisiana Tech? Yeah, like, I can't remember his name. I have no idea. There's so many names we have to remember. It's like, I yeah. Give that, every, you give everybody nicknames, you know. Yeah, old, old buddy from Northern <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. 
you know, my guy from yeah. uh, from Temple. Yeah, that's that guy. My, that, yeah. The dudes. That's usually what I say. They got some good dudes there. If these know? people get mad in their comments and everything, folks, we you can't remember all these <laughs> names. It's literally not possible. Right. Like, oh, I mean, they, if if you mispronounce a name, they'll get on your. Oh ass. yeah. I mean, it's, well, my last name's Kublik, so that's fine. I, I can. <laughs> Gary Danielson called me Kublik earlier on, on my show. I'm like, it's McElroy and Kublik. Like, come on, man. It's fine. Uh, when, you often one of my favorite things about your account is you you're looking at uh, you know film what have you and you, you tweet out all these highlight clips. Uh, I mean, how how much time does it take you to to find these plays? Because because you find some gems on there. Uh, well, it's funny because we were doing SiriusXM yesterday and our our boss Michael Mazvinsky we go to break and he comes up and he said you're a lunatic and I was like what what are you talking about? He said. Are you literally watching film while we're interviewing SEC coaches doing a radio show? And I was like, well, I mean, I got it on. I'm not locked into it, but it's there in case, you know, I, I can kind of peek over and see some plays. When I was, when I first got married, I mean, my wife couldn't believe it. I would come home and I'd be watching film when she got home. We would go work out, eat dinner, do our thing. And then I'd say, I'm going to go downstairs and watch some more film. And she's like, what? Like, how much of this can you watch? And I'm like, well, it's technically, it's endless. Like, I could just keep going. There's so much I haven't seen. So I just try to get it in whenever I can. And it's now that I have three kids, it's literally like squeeze it in, get it in when you can fit it in. Like 10 minutes here, 30 minutes here, an hour here. Um, If I'm on the plane, I'm watching it. And when Greg and I do our show in the morning, I've always got my iPad going on something because I might see something like out of the corner of my eye at some point. So I can't lock into it for a lengthy period of times anymore like I once could. But after the show, I try to get like a quick 30-minute grind in almost every day. So you got to at least just explore every day is what I try to do. And that way you never truly get behind. Once the season hits – you're never catching up. I don't yeah. care if it's week zero, week one. Like, you're not catching up. Because I, if I get through all – you know, you guys know what I do on Sunday. The reason I started the podcast, I watch all the SEC games. We go through the film, X's and O's, what happened. Well, do I want to go see what Ohio State's doing? Do I want to go see what USC's doing? Like, well, i got to go look at Washington's offensive line. Okay, I want to see what Miami's doing. You can't just blast through all of it. It's literally impossible. So, you got to pick and choose. But I, I just – honestly – the only way I know how to answer that is I get in as much as I can. And some days that's an hour. Some days it, I might get lucky it's three hours. Some day it might be five minutes. But it's just I'm always trying to take a peek whenever it's possible. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm also a huge fan of you on the sideline and breaking down some of this film study. But i got to ask, has there ever been a, mo- a moment you thought, I should be coaching? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, just because of the way your brain works. Well, the guy that I referenced that called me the dumbest MF, he kind of ruined the coaching thing for me. Um, But, you know, here's what's weird about it. It's very similar to media. Yeah. So I get all these kids that are coming out of college, and they say, hey, I want to do what you do. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll be glad to help. And the first thing I ask them is, what is your acceptable floor in this industry? And they all look at me like I'm crazy because the, the typical answer is, Okay, I want to be Aaron Andrews or Kirk Kerbstreet. And they're like, that's really cool, but you know there's one of those, right? I mean, chances of us getting there are right. pretty much zero. Um, are you okay being local news sports person? Are you okay just having your own podcast? Because uh, you can do a whole other full-time job and have a podcast, and that can be great. Or you can dump everything into a podcast. Like, you guys, I mean, this can go a lot of different ways. You okay just having a radio show? Like, I need to know what is the floor that you're fine with. And that, that usually dictates, all right, you should probably go for this or yeah. get out of this. When, when 
I had somebody last week, and she came to me and asked me about it, and she said, I want to do sideline for the SEC Network. I was like, all right, cool. Whose job are you taking? Because they're not just open. Like, yeah. They're not just looking to fill voids. They're not sitting around. So who are you bumping? Yeah. Come on, Tara, now it ain't me. Yeah. So who else are you going to bump? And, and they kind of get wide-eyed at that point. It's like you maybe go try this, then try a little bit of that, and then do this. When I came out, there were no podcasts. Right. There, there, were, there wasn't a dedicated website for every team or four for every team. Um, you know, there wasn't uh, – online coverage wasn't real. It was like you had your three local news sports guys. Yeah. You had your one, like, radio station that maybe had two, three local guys and two or three football games were on TV. Right. Like, calling games felt unattainable to me when I got out of college. Right. Literally, it did because – yeah, Jefferson Pilot and then CBS and ESPN. Like, that was it. Yeah. And so I didn't think it was possible. Um, and it's kind of the same thing in coaching. When I got out of school, I mean, you were going to be a GA for years. Yeah. Making 12, 17, 19,000. And some of the guys, like, I mean, Will Muschamp was a GA at Auburn when I was there. And I think he just got, like, his graduate school paid for and got to live in the dorm. Yeah. Like, that was all he got. So that, that was what that life was then. Now, I mean, they're taking flyers on anybody to come coach. Like, yeah. oh, you've been an analyst for a while? Cool. You, do you want to make 700 to come coach quarterbacks? Like, <laughs> sure. I would love to just coach. Yeah. Would I like the schedule that these guys have? No. Yeah. NIL, portal, recruiting your own roster every day, the regular recruiting portion of it, the travel. I got three kids, too, so that's not really a fair question. Like, I would never leave what I do now to put that on my family yeah. because I know how extensive it is. But I would love to just coach the game. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. you know what's crazy is I used to say – somebody asked me this. I said this yesterday. I used to say, you know what? If the money was the same, I'd love to coach in high school. Well, it's the same shit now. These <laughs> kids are getting NIL. They're transferring. Yeah. Like they're moving their families across town to go play to a different school. It's, it's crazier in high school than it is in college. Absolutely. And small town politics don't help. <laughs> Nuts. Yeah, and – you know, you, you do have a really a dream job getting to cover the multiple. SEC. Well, yeah, well, multiple. But I, seriously, I listened to WJOX driving to high school in the mornings. Really? I was that sick kid <laughs> that got – I listened to sports talk radio, and I never, there was a beep. It was like my apartment complex. When you came out, there was a BP station, and then like across the street was the road to go to the high school. I would go to the BP station – pay 50 cents and get a USA Today every day. I'd go to school. Everybody else was trying to finish their homework. Mm-hmm. Not that mine was done. I just kind of didn't care. And I would open up and start looking at box scores. Or I'd start looking at, you know, articles of who was playing who, schedules, different things. Like every sport, I would, I would literally open it, and the green section was the money section, purple section was the life section, and the front page, I'd throw those away. Red, sports, that's all I cared about. <laughs> yeah. So I listened to Sports Talk Radio, the station I'm on now. I listened to that station. And then my wife reminds me all the time because when Tom and Jordan and I first got put together, I said, man, this is something I could do for a decade. If I, if I, when we were talking about it, I said, if yeah. I can get that, I'll do it for 10 years and be happy. Well, like anybody else, three, four years in, I'm like, man, we, what if we got that game? What if I could go do this? She's like, remember, you said you would do this for a decade. She's like, so don't start getting greedy. She, she puts me in my place. So it's, I have more than one dream job, man. Like, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Well, the one I was specifically referencing, though, is getting to be on these SEC campuses Saturday yep. night because that's the game every fan base wants. They want the Saturday night game, and because of TV, we don't always get the Saturday night game. But wherever you're going, unlike fans of 
say Arkansas, Tennessee, that doesn't get it every night. You do because you're there. You're, you're living these environments. I mean, I just can't imagine what that's like week in and week out because everyone claims they have a top ten experience, and several have earned that in the SEC. But the venues you get to, to go in, I mean, it, it's like the, the best time to go to it's all amazing. of them. And after probably week two or three, then they're all conference games. Mm -hmm. So it might not be Alabama, LSU, but Kentucky, Mississippi State, or Auburn, Ole Miss, or Ole Miss, Tennessee, they're going to be damn good. And these venues, none of them are bad. They're just, it, they're all fun. Like the podcast a couple weeks ago, I did Toughest Places to Win right now, which is. Everyone I'll, agreed. It's different. Everyone agreed with I mean, you. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, it, but it, it's, it's always going to be a sliding scale because I played in Knoxville the year after they won a national championship. It's still the loudest stadium I've ever heard, ever. And now with what they've redone in there with the LEDs and the T coming out and the spotlight, I mean, it is, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you get down to Gainesville, when they're rocking, you can't hear a thing. Yeah. And it's, it's very unique because the student, the student section was grandfathered in, and we were on the far side of the bench. It's literally where we are, the, the student section to the players. Yeah. Like you're sitting against the back of your bench, and they're right there. And you can imagine the things they're saying when you come off the field, especially if it's not going well. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're having fun. And I never got the other side of it, but I've had guys like McElroy. Like Trevor Knight told me Auburn was the most difficult place I ever played, Big 12 or SEC. Auburn at night was the toughest place I ever played. Athens is loud. You know, Baton Rouge is a whole other animal, man. Like that thing – See, the thing about Baton Rouge is it's not just the noise. It's, it's the all-encompassing voodoo, mystique. Every, the odor of that place is yeah. awesome. Like, you get out of your car in the parking lot, and it just smells like gumbo. Like, it's incredible. And everybody's yelling and purple wigs, and it's, it's just you walk by a live tiger on your way into the stadium. And what's really nuts is the first time I went there in 97 – was when they still wheeled the tiger around in, in the cage like they do the pig at Arkansas right now. And I'll never forget, I ran out, and I'm jogging. I'm like, that's a fucking tiger in a cage <laughs> at a football game. Like, you never, it's, you never believed it until yeah. you saw it. You're like, I saw it on TV, but it's like, is the tiger really out there where we can just see it? And, it's a, and they would rattle his cage to try to, like, get him going when we ran out. It was wild. <laughs> and then you get to Arkansas, and it's like there's a 500-pound pig, like, in its cage. And they're giving him carrots. Like, it's, that's a real thing. And, like, like Fayetteville is a perfect example. When they get that, oh, pig, suey, it's awesome, man. I don't care who you root for yeah. or if they're good, if they're not good. Like, you feel the passion there and what they've done with the third deck and all the new, you know, floor-level, uh, grass-level seats. That's an amazing place. Like, and I said on the podcast, like, we can't say williams Bryce is the most underrated place anymore. Yeah. That's the same as the people that still say that, like, soccer and NASCAR are the fastest-growing sports in America. You can't be the fastest-growing sport for 20 years. Like, at some point, you've just grown. Yeah. Like, it's just a tough place to play. Yeah. I think Lexington's the most underrated place right now. It's a really cool environment. They really upgraded it. It's, it's much nicer than it used to be. Like I said, it, depending on who's good – it's probably, you know, Tennessee, Florida, or LSU, depending on who has the best team right now. Brian Denny's always tough. Sanford's always tough. Jordan Hare's always tough. And it just fluctuates based on which fan base is most excited and most passionate at that moment. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, maybe a top three? It might be tough, but just when you go around the SEC places, when you're getting an assignment, you're like, damn, I'm going to go to this restaurant. 
Oh, we've got them. No, we've got them in every. We've got them in every town. I mean, just name the town, and I'll tell you the place. Like, we go to Lexington. We're going to Tony's Steakhouse downtown. Uh, and see, Tom Hart's kind of like our mater d. Like, he's the one that does the reservations. He's the one that, that says, oh, no, we're going to go here. But we know our same places, like Dragonfly, Sushi Joint, Gainesville, we're going. Tom's from Columbia, so when we go to Como, it's more of a, we got to go see this guy or go see that guy, and we got to go do this and that. It's like, all right, fine, we'll go, you know, we'll go check that out. We go to Auburn, we're going to Acre. Like, David Bancroft's taking care of us. We're going in there. We're eating chicken fried bacon as an appetizer. It's unbelievable. Like, I ate it on the field during COVID. People are like, why are you eating food? Like, it's awesome. <laughs> like, so many people. Like, it, uh, oh, another thing, Williams Bryce. There's two weekends out of the year that they have the state fair across the street. Yeah. Like, you can see the Ferris wheel from inside the stadium. I remember and the corn dogs. We're right? eating. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I wouldn't have done that. Jordan, <laughs> that was Jordan. But I ate a donut burger, and it actually was, I ended up eating the whole thing. It was so good. I was like, I was going to take a bite. And I'm like, you know what? We need to break. And I'm like, I'm going to finish that. That's, that's actually really good. But why would people be mad about that? I don't know. We're just uh, having fun. Yeah. You know, like, people forget football still fun. Yeah. I mean, we try to make it a little bit more fun. We're going to break it down. We're going to analyze. But it's also fun, man. Yeah. Like, we watch this because we like it. Mm-hmm. Well, we for, like, we I, forget I like that. We don't watch. And, and I say this all the time. The SEC, we love to hate more than we love to love. Yeah. But we watch it because we like it, yeah. right? We don't watch it because we're mad at it. Right. Like, who watches things that intentionally piss them off? Not many people do that. You're sick if you do that. Now, it's going to at times, but we watch this because we love it, man. It's fun. It's I think cool. that's what I like. When you're on the sideline, you're mic'd up, and then you can see sometimes you switch over to fan, you know? And I think that's what – we appreciate – I mean, that's why we like your show. It's why they, they come to our show because we're, we're fans ultimately. Absolutely. You know? so, and if, I, you're, if you're not, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, if, you're, if, you, if yeah. you cover something and you're not a fan of it, like, what are you doing? This, this is not the line of work. No. <laughs> no, this is no I mean, it's – passionate yeah. about it. And that's the beauty of it. I, I tell people I, – I used to say six or seven. I guess it's like nine years. Like, I haven't worked in nine years. Seriously, since yeah. I went full-time media, which I went, and then I had to get out because it just wasn't working. I had a radio station in Huntsville that basically quit paying me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sorry, I got <laughs> Sounds great, but you know, I'm going to actually have to go do something else now. And I went and sold boxes. I hated myself. I went and sold insurance. I hated myself. And then finally I got a call from a, the different station in Huntsville, went back. Then, you know, kept getting some TV stuff, did some videos at AO.com, and it all worked itself out. But... I mean, it's – I haven't worked since I started doing that. It's not work. Like, all the film you talked about earlier, it's not work. I love it. Yeah. I would do it all day if I had the time. Like, if I could pause everybody else and watch three hours of film, I would do that every day. Yeah. But I just got other things I got to keep up with. This is this is not work. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> I well, agree. This is an awesome interview. So, I Absolutely. appreciate you, Cole. Before you go, I'm sure the audience already knows, but can you tell them where to follow your work? Oh, uh, Twitter, at Cube Show, at Cole Kublik, uh, Instagram, at Cole Kublik, at Cube Show. The YouTube is at Cube Show 61, McElroy and Kublik in the morning, jocksfm.com, 7 to 10 a.m. weekday mornings. Right. I think that's it for now. <laughs> we'll find some more stuff to get in there somewhere. Yeah. Thank you so I'm much. Really trying, we're just trying to be like you guys, get the, get the subscribers up and, and yeah. get the whole thing going. So, But you guys have been a good help to me, too, and I've – Especially you, Mike. I appreciate you very much. I want to let everybody know that. So, thank you. I, I enjoy listening to you guys. It's, it's entertaining. It's fun. And then it's some football. Like, that's what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. I appreciate you guys as well. I appreciate you, you saying that. 
All right, so how great was that? Cole Kublik, thank you, thank you, thank you once again. Big fan of his show. Go check out the Cube show. Uh, Kublik and McElroy in the morning. I mean, that's a great show too. All the work he does. Really appreciate Cole joining the show. And I also appreciate Jesse Simonton. He continues to show up. He's been on the show a number of times. Always a pleasure catching up with Jesse. He's one of the best covering all of college football for On3. Really detailed interview. And Jesse fired a couple questions back at us. He's one of the few that uh, is man enough to do that down there at Media Day. So let's kick it over to this interview with Jesse Simonton. All right, we're here with Jesse Simonton on three, one of our favorites around the SEC. You're, you said we're killing it, man. You're killing it. You're blowing up <laughs> nah, here with man. Andy Staples. You're covering. You're talking to all these coaches uh, every year. It seems like your your profile gets he bigger. Used to and be bigger. my size. He just has been so damn busy. <laughs> Look at him. He's lost that weight. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to work hard, man. I'm just trying to play my role. <laughs> uh, so, so tell me. Uh, about this show with Andy Staples, I mean, I'm eager to check it out. I haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Yeah, the debut episode came, uh, the, the Andy Staples show on three, uh, debuted Monday, first day of SEC Media Day. So it's going to be a daily show. Um, Andy's Andy's the big timer. I mean, it was a huge uh, get for on three to get Andy Staples um, leaving the Athletic. He will be doing a daily show with our website on YouTube. Um, during the season, basically after these media days, Big Ten, these kind of things, during the season it's going to air Sundays uh, through Thursday, so five days a week. It'll be on a podcast, uh, simulcast every time, uh, 8 p.m., and so I'll be the regular co-host, and it'll be fun. I mean, we're going to just chop it up. College football is the best, dumbest, <laughs> silliest, craziest uh, sport there is, and so we're going to have a good time covering it. Yeah, and I know recently, uh, you know, over the spring and summers, you've been kind of doing, talking a lot of these coaches, getting prepped for the season. Yeah. What's some of the, maybe the key takeaways from those conversations that you can share? You know, I, I think one interesting one, since we're here, because I've talked to co- SEC coaches, Big Ten coaches, uh, a couple Pac-12 guys. I think, you know, we haven't heard from, I, you know, as of rec- this recording, we haven't heard from Sam Pittman yet. But I, I really enjoy kind of sitting down with Sam and yeah. him kind of, you know, reflecting on what went wrong. Arkansas is a tough job. We know that, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough job to win, you know, nine, ten games mm-hmm. every year. Like they, you know, not that they have, but the fact that they won nine games and then they had that, you know, last year's regression. Um, and the fact that I think he reflected and kind of looked at what went wrong, what did I need to change, Um you know, he was a guy that really lauded continuity, staff continuity, team continuity. Yeah. And yet it sometimes, you know, it's kind of like when you're, you know, you hang out with your family a little bit too much. You know, you start. You start <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> you start banging heads and, and, you know, maybe, you know, things can get a little stale and relationships yeah, yeah. can get a little frayed. Um, and so the staff chemistry just wasn't the same. Um, the team chemistry he didn't feel like was his, was where it needed to be. Uh, and so you've seen, you know, I mean, they got two new coordinators. Now, he didn't run off Kendall Bryles. He didn't run, you know, Barry Odom got a head coaching job. Yep. Um, but I think it was a fresh start. Uh, and so we'll see. Arkansas has a brutal schedule, you know, like they always do. They don't play Georgia this year, so the SEC at least gave, you know, uh, you know a little bit of uh, leeway there. But um, I think the fact that he, you know, 
Hugh identified, or Sam identified, hey, we need to change some staff stuff. We need to kind of infuse the roster with the transfer portal. Oh, and then what did we do two years ago that was successful that I didn't do last season? And he said, we didn't hit. Yeah. Because he had this veteran team, he was so afraid of, of these veterans getting hurt. And so they didn't hit in spring practice, and they didn't tackle in fall camp. Lo and behold, they still got hurt anyways. Yeah. All these guys still went down anyways. And had trouble and, tackling. And, yeah, and they had trouble <laughs> tackling. And so I, that, that, w- that was an interesting conversation, you know, th- talking with the guys. that You know, I spent some time with the Penn State guys. They really, you know, think that this could be the, this could be the year, and it, it you know, they they kind of have a two-year window, I think, with this group that they have. You know, they've signed the best two recruiting classes. Uh, when you're talking about Nick Singleton, Drew Alar, all these studs on defense that they have. We had someone in here earlier said Drew Drew Alar will be the first pick in two years, in the NFL draft. Wow, I mean, I'm running off the top of my head. There's going to be. That that'd be interesting. He has the talent. I mean, he's a guy that certainly, you know, that howitzer that uh, Joe Milton's got on his right arm. Drew Allar, Drew Allar's got one of those too, uh, and they got some studs on defense too. Yeah. Um, so those have been some of the, the kind of the more interesting conversations. Shane Beamer, South Carolina. I mean, he's as optimistic as anybody. You know that that that. And every, every I like Shane. Everybody likes Shane. It's yeah. he he is extremely affable and i think it's just because he he is shane beamer I, i've said you know he's not afraid to be corny and yeah. silly um and that's not for everybody you, there's a lot of sec coaches that <laughs> you know are not like that um but i think he also is extremely optimistic now we talked about this a year ago uh progress isn't linear and you know, I think South Carolina and Ole Miss are two teams this year that may be better than they were last season, and their records won't reflect it. Mm. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, you said there about Sam Pittman and Shane Beamer. I think it, the same could apply. I don't know if you really know fully about a head coach, particularly in the SEC, until he's got to make coordinator changes. Sam Pittman lost two good ones. Uh, Shane Beamer, not so much, but he made a change nonetheless. He, I think he had to. Uh, do you think these changes, these hires they've made, could determine ultimately how successful they are at their respective schools? Oh, yeah. And I, I, the coordinator, making your, whether it's your first coordinator hire or whoever you have to find as a replacement, uh, history has shown that, that that could be the make or break for your right. career. Yeah. I, I am someone that, you know, starting my career covering Florida. You know, when my first year, uh, last year as the editor of the uh, Alligator, before I got to the Miami Herald, Will Muschamp gets hired. He kind of is pushed into, I, it depends on who you talk to, but he is basically asked to form this kind of union with Charlie Weiss. Destined to fail from the beginning. And that just set Will down a path of hiring bad coordinators where he was almost chasing his tail, yeah. couldn't make the right hire, didn't work. Um, and yet, then you've seen a guy like Kirby Smart brings in Jim Chaney, year one, identified exactly who he wanted. Chaney was there for a couple of years, 
Rose Bowl team, you know, makes it to the national championship in 2017. All right, Cheney gets the big payday from Tennessee. Georgia says, that's okay. I think I like this Todd Munkin guy. How'd that work out? (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, we've seen both examples of getting it right, getting it wrong. Dowell Loggins, I think, probably will be an upgrade uh, for Shane Beamer at South Carolina. We'll see on Dan Enos and Kendall Browse. I like Dan Enos, and I think what he did last year at Maryland with Tua, uh, Tua's little brother, um, you know, was pretty good. And I think you'll have, you know, K.J. Jefferson's probably, if it's not uh, Jaden Daniels, K.J. Jefferson's probably the second-best quarterback in the SEC. Mm -hmm. Rocket Sanders is really good. Um, How many pieces they have at receiver, I think, is a little bit in question. Um, So I I think it'll work out for the better at South Carolina. Maybe a little bit of TBD for Arkansas, just because, you know, Kendall, um, while I think there might have been a little baggage there, Kendall – you know, certainly has the resume that says he's one of the better coordinators in the country. Yeah. At, now, at this event last year, obviously it was in Atlanta, but we do so many interviews. Right. You were literally the only one that's you, – you did pick Bama to win the West, but you said keep your eye on LSU. Well, why did you – you should have said <laughs> you were the only one that had LSU. Because yeah. no one even had that. I mean, I thought they were 7-5, and five, probably, you know, 8-4 and four at best team. They won the West. Can they take that next step? I'm already out there. I'm saying they're going to win the national championship. They're my pick to win the SEC and the national championship. Is that crazy talk? What what you What do you think about that? I I, so I'm dude. I'm super high on Brian Kelly. Yeah, and I I think the track record's there. He can be an ordinary sob, but the guy can coach. And you know, he he, you can take Notre Dame to multiple playoff games. Eventually, I think he's going to join that list of LSU coaches that's won a national championship. I don't think it's this year. I just think that they're a little bit too thin. Mm-hmm. And I am picking, full disclosure, I am picking them to win the SEC West and to play Georgia again for the national or for the SEC championship game. I will say, and you guys give me your feedback, because y'all been talking to a lot of people, listening to these interviews, I will say I'm a little bit trepidatious on my pick with LSU now, listening to Brian Kelly basically admit that they're still trying to close the gap with Georgia. Right. Yeah, he's trying to pump the brakes on the hype, certainly. Yeah. He is. What, is what two, do y'all what think about that? Years? What know? do y'all think about it? I mean, that's because you, you won the SEC West in year one. Right. I mean, you've well, done a I, lot of – you've reloaded with the transfer portal. You return. They have the best wide receiver room, I think, in yeah. the SEC. Mm-hmm. Really good offensive line. I'm someone, literally wrote a column, go to On3, read about it. I, I'm someone that thinks that Harold Perkins and Mason Smith, by the end of this season, could be the best one-two individual defensive players in the entire SEC. So when you couple all that together, you say, hey, let's go for it. Then now, yeah. now it's the well, present I, is I now. I think that state is in a unique spot because they, the women basketball and the baseball just won the national championship so I think they're so all getting swept. In. It? I, th- I think so and he's we all know that's got nothing to do with the football but fans are going to fan you know what I mean so I think that fuels into it just they beat Nick Saban they're going to own Nick Saban Nick Saban and his decaying dynasty as I like to call it I think they're over and done with but uh, 
No, I, I, I do think there's something to that because I, th- I think there's little. Th- you always got to read between the lines at this event because they're not going to give you much. Oh, for sure. But I think that is one thing, and I've heard him say it. We, we are a couple injuries away from yeah, a rough spot I, at many positions. I think, too, some coaches, a lot of them are salespeople, you know, and, and they got to sell you on a product or a brand. Well, they don't want to come out here and say, hey, we're going undefeated. We're going to win a national championship. You bring those expectations down so then when you exceed them, just like they did last year, I think then you put them on a pedestal again. So I think that's where we are with LSU. I, I think that they are on the track or the trek to get to a national championship, but I just think we're still a couple seasons out, just like you. But I will say, I mean, it, it may, some coaches do want to tamp it down. I mean, you know, Kirby came out here today and was like, you know, yeah, we expect to be good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, so, and it's like, yeah, no, you know. Uh, breaking news: Georgia expects to win. You know they've won 29 <laughs> games the last two years. I just, to me, the LSU thing is just a little bit curious, though, because I was at the spring meetings in Destin. I've talked to other you know folks uh, around the program. Kelly has really you know embraced and enjoyed the fact that they beat Alabama last yeah. year, and he has said as much publicly <laughs> yeah. multiple times. And to suddenly be like. Whoa! Let's tap the brakes a little bit. <laughs> I just well, come on, I man, just, go for it. I mean, now, I, it, it, and you know, this is a team. They have no. Their schedule's difficult. They got little margin for error now because of the Florida State game. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose that game, you you can't lose again. Right. Uh, so there's some pressure coming out the gate that maybe now that we're kind of you know, yeah. fall camps just on the other side. Maybe they're kind of feeling a little bit more. Well, I think uh, for me the thing is, I mean, George. Everyone likes Georgia, and understandably, but I think we're already starting to see the signs that maybe life at the top is is not so easy. I mean, whether it's uh, attention or you know any little thing that they do is is getting news coverage now, and that that's just the way it, it's going to be. And it doesn't seem to me like they're handling it very well. And I don't think it, there's anyone in the West that is a clear winner either. I mean, I, I think A and M. I'm higher on A and M than most, but. I don't even have confidence in, in Jimbo to push that thing over the top. Well, I'll say this about Georgia first. It had, no one has three-peated in almost 90 years. So the fact that they are considered such like a slam dunk or proverbial like it's going to happen, it is extremely difficult to win yeah. back-to-back national championships. Nick Saban's a goat, and he's done it once. Nebraska did it. Saban did it. USC did it. That's pretty much been it in any of our lifetimes. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Georgia is kind of, you know, burdened with these expectations of, yeah, you can just three-peat, it's really, really hard. At the same time, I think they're as well-positioned as any program maybe since Nebraska to pull it off. Yeah. Kirby talked about the COVID babies today. <laughs> 17 of 20 of that COVID class are still on the team. The 18th would have been A.D. Mitchell, who scored a touchdown in every single one of their playoff games and mm-hmm. went to, and transferred to Texas to be closer to his daughter. Yeah. That sort of retention just isn't happening anywhere else. Right. And when you look at who those 17 players are, it's like key guys everywhere. It's your two starting inside linebackers. It's Kamari Lassiter. It's Brock Bowers. It's Amarius Mims. It's all these dudes that are going to be the foundational pieces on this team. Uh, and so I think Georgia has a very realistic chance of three-peating, which just to say that sentence is actually absurd historically. Yeah. Now, if I'm flipping and saying, to your point, why it may not happen, 
some of the off-field stuff is clearly a concern. I, I think it's less of a distraction than folks are making it. I think that's actually, in my opinion, I think that's a little overblown. They need to fix the damn speeding problem. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It led to a death of one of your players and a staff member. Like, come on, like, yeah. get it in order. I think the bigger danger for the Bulldogs this year is unless Tennessee is a little bit better than I think they are, Georgia's probably going to go undefeated until they play either LSU or Alabama in the SEC championship game. And what if it's not necessarily complacency that gets them, but what if they're just not challenged? And then suddenly you do play a good team and you lose that coin flip game you won a year ago against Ohio State. Like Alabama two years ago in the SEC championship. Yep. And and another way that I break it down that I think could be dangerous to Georgia, everyone's talking about how easy the schedule is. And we all do that, but we talk about it for months and months and months. It may be tougher. I mean, Kentucky could be good, Ole Miss, Tennessee. It could beef it up. But if they – I equate it to Ohio State the year they won and they brought basically everyone back. They dropped one game, the last second field goal to Michigan State, and they didn't win the conference. They probably were a top four team. They were probably a top two team, but they didn't have the resume to get in. And if somehow, some way, Georgia doesn't win the, e, the the SEC, they have a loss somewhere, and that keeps them. I don't think they have the resume to get to the playoff, even though they will be certainly one of the best four. I so I agree with you. I I would say I I would say I agree that I, they wouldn't they wouldn't have the resume. Where I would push back, I would say I would be stunned if the committee left off the two-time, two-time national champions and probably a program with as much cachet and you know a fan base yeah. that's going to ride you know ride yeah. to the moon with them. Um, which is it, Andy Staples and I talked about this earlier. Uh, in that scenario, in that hypothetical, which is fun, we love talking about these hypotheticals <laughs> and all these different things. In that hypothetical, I think actually Georgia three peats. Do you? Because in that hypothetical, I don't think this team would lose twice this year. Yeah. You need them to win the SEC championship. Have a game like Ohio State, college football playoffs, maybe you're overlooking. I think that's where Georgia, if we're going to lose, that's where it's going to be. And I don't want to say complacency because that, that I think that gets played out too, but that's exactly what's going to happen here is they're just going to just tear through this schedule and then if they do lay out the SEC championship, that first game in the college football play, and I can't believe we're saying that. It, it almost, I can't, you know, it's like we're just throwing out the 12 games that they actually have to play in the SEC. <laughs> and we're talking about a, a, a theoretical Don't forget Ball State. Matchup. They got Ball State. M, I think okay. MTSU. So they if, got some they good lose, ones. if they lose one game this year, who's like say during the season, who would it be? I mean, I think it. I think the, the number one pick still has to be Tennessee, just because that game is in Knoxville. Just because I think that's probably uh, in terms of a challenge. You know, that's a scheme. That's a, that's a defense that Kirby's had a lot of success, or offense that Kirby's had a lot of success going up against. And it's a lot of uh, the main reason is because Georgia's got studs on the perimeter where you can basically man up. Yeah. You know, on the outside, and then play smaller in the box. Um, but that's still the, the, the margins change. Uh, that that's why I think Heupel's been so successful in two years is because you can you, know, you can you can change the margins with that offense, and so mm-hmm. that's an offense designed to pull off an upset. So I would say Tennessee won. After that, I mean, is it at Auburn? 
Maybe Ole Miss, Kentucky. See, I don't. I, I Ole Miss. I I would be very. I would be very surprised if Georgia got tripped up in Athens. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. But you know, and, and again, that's why you, you you say at Auburn, Georgia's dominated yeah. that series, though. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. since Kirby's gotten here, Georgia's dominated that series. Here's a good question for you boys. You talked about A and M. Third, I think. You think do you have them third in the in the West? Or? Second. Second, okay. You got you got Alabama. The dynasty's dead. That's right. <laughs> Alabama dynasty's dead. So I have a and I have on my ballot or pre you know pre predictions or whatever. I had I had a And M third. I think it's a fav, you know favorite fa- flavor of ice cream sort of deal between a And M, Ole Miss, Arkansas. I really get. I like Ole Miss this year, but I think the schedule is much more difficult than it was a year ago. What do you think if I if I said I don't think that. I'm picking Tennessee. I picked Tennessee to win, to be second in the East. But what if I that really two through five or two through four in the East is much closer than people think? Who would who would be in that mix? Kentucky and South Carolina, Missouri. Yeah, I, I'm not buying South Carolina, but I agree with you, Kentucky. And I do think that uh, Texas A&M, even though you know that there's the chance they just derail but I think they they will have a major advantage on both lines of scrimmage when they come to Neyland Stadium so I I think they will beat Tennessee which will play into that as well which which will hurt them at Alabama of course I, I got them beating Alabama get the decay dynasty I mean, <laughs> but Georgia I mean yeah I think course. Tennessee will have two or three losses and one of them will be A&M so you're I and, and I know and I know because we've I kind of you know shot you some messages, gruffing you, having some fun with you because you're, you're super high on Connor Wegman. Yeah, he may not win the job, but you're super high on Connor Wegman. <laughs> no, he's gonna he's gonna be the starting quarterback. I I, I agree with you there. It's not gonna be Max Johnson. He's he's had his chance. Now he's Max is a nice yeah. backup option if something happens to Connor. I think A and M's offense uh, will be better because you can't be worse. They were a hundredth or something, and you know so many categories. I'm curious because you just said defensive line, offensive line. The line of scrimmage is going to be so much better. Those are two units that on paper for Texas A&M look really good as we sit here at SEC Media Days and look at depth charts and star mm-hmm. rankings and that kind of stuff. That's a defensive line. It's, it's loaded with five stars. They couldn't stop a run at all last year. And an offensive line, they really couldn't block all that well either. So right. are you, you have a lot of confidence it's going to be a lot better this fall? I mean, I what think gives you that? Be. What gives you that that optimism? I guess I would say because I think Jimbo is just such a piss poor CEO, and that I think he's finally shown that he's changing things up, getting going away from vanilla, bringing in Bobby Petrino. Had he hired Alex Golish, I'm just picking a name, a guy that yeah he did some stuff, but we all know if it was a guy like that, he'd be running the ship. You don't bring in Bobby Petrino to yank the play call and the duties away because he'll he'll walk out that damn door in a heartbeat you know what i mean he, he's bringing in a hard-ass guy that is not going to accept being saddled with uh you just sit there and, and let me know what you think of my play calling while you sit on the headset i think he i don't know i don't even know some people say he had to bring in petrino like it wasn't even his choice i don't think that but i think he knows his job's on the line i was on texas i said if they don't win eight games minimum Fire him. You got to fire his ass. And they didn't. They didn't say yeah, but they. You know those guys. I thought they were gonna be like whoa, whoa, whoa. They, they said he's got to win. That's what they told me. Well, he does have to win, and <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't disagree there. I mean, this is you know, 
he's and he's got 75 million reasons to tell him to, to go to hell, though. I mean, he can say <laughs> win or, you know, whatever. I'm going to get my money either way. But I think if Texas wins the Big 12 and, I, and A&M struggles, they'll pay, they'll pay that in a heartbeat. Well, I, with, what's the price of oil at Thanksgiving? I think that's going to be, <laughs> I think that's gonna be the, the, the telling thing. If the price of oil uh, is up, then, you know, they're not going to have any hesitancy to say yeah. it's time for a change. For Bobby, though, I, I don't know if he can just walk out the door. I think the reason Bobby Petrino accepted this job is because he wants to do what Hugh Freeze does, yeah. which is get back into this league. Now, yeah. I don't think Bobby Petrino will ever be a head coach in the SEC again. But if he is successful at Texas A&M as an offensive coordinator, he could get a head coaching job in the Power Five perhaps again. Mm-hmm. The way it ended at Louisville was nasty. You know, the team just just dumped on him, just straight mm-hmm, quit. Yeah. The very next year, it, with the exact same roster, Scott Satterfield won like eight games. You know, I mean, it was it was literally just because they certainly had a – they were like, we don't hate our coach. Um, <laughs> and so I think if he is given the rope, he can be successful. I, 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 wrote, I wrote a column again at On3 – Jimbo Fisher doesn't know any. You know, folks were mad yesterday that he was, like, secretive or, you know, coy or whatever. I thought it was amusing. I think you know, how he, he squirms whenever Bobby Petrino's name gets mentioned. He clearly does not like the fact that, you know, as as stubborn as he as Jimbo is, that, that folks have told him, hey, something has to change. But I am skeptical every time because he squirms so much about Bobby Petrino that he's actually going to really release the reins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bobby can – they can cuss each other out all they want, but not, I don't think – Bobby can't really go anywhere. I mean, he was going to be with Barry Odom at, you know, New Mexico. It's not like he's, fl- you know, flush with options right now. Uh, if he's given the rope, I think he can resuscitate, you know, a wheezing offense. If he can't – Texas A&M may be in a whole lot of trouble again. That week two game against Miami, huge. Yeah. And then week four, what happens if, if Hugh Freeze in year one goes into A&M and, be, and, and beats them? <laughs> that ain't going to be good for, for old Jimbo. No. Last question for you, Jesse. Yeah. Why do you hate Mississippi State? I Yeah. I, <laughs> I've been getting it too. J.D., we just had him on, same deal. They're, they're, they're mad as hell down there. You know, and I get it because they're mad because it, it, they feel like they're the Vanderbilt of the SEC. They're the oh, – Excuse me. The perception is. Hashtag, well, Willy Wonka, scratch that, reverse it. <laughs> they feel like, yes, the perception is that they are viewed or seen as the Vanderbilt of the SEC West. They are not. They obviously have been more successful. Um, they won nine games a year ago. I don't think a lot of people know they won nine games a year ago. Yeah. Uh, but this is a new season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was there for – I have covered now multiple – former defensive coordinators turned head coaches and I've seen how that year one can be challenging challenging for Will Muschamp at Florida was challenging for Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee yep. it's, it was challenging for Kirby Smart at Georgia mm-hmm. now he's got that thing humming since but they went 8-5 and five in year one to think that they're just going to continue their kind of upward momentum in, in, in the SEC West with the schedule that they play um, with the fact that, that they've they're kind of – you can't fully shift away from the air raid because so much of the roster, you know, they brought in their first tight ends, Ryan yeah. Goaty and a couple of these other guys, and they don't really have the bigger backs to run as much. But they're going to run 
a more pro-style kind of hybrid scheme. I think there's going to be some growing pains in that. And I think defensively, they're going to miss Watson at linebacker. I know they've got Jet back, who's a six-year guy, and they've got you know some defensive linemen that they like a lot. Somebody's got to finish last, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to finish last. And I would, it would not surprise me in the slightest if they pull off an upset, um, but it also would not surprise me at all if there's some real, you know, man, we had to hire Zach Arnett, and we really like Zach Arnett as our defensive coordinator. Um, but is he ready to be a head coach? I don't know. We're going to find out this fall. And so, you know, they have a tough schedule. Uh, let's let's see what happens. If if they beat us, ring you know more cowbell, baby. Yeah. You know if they, if they if they finish if they you know win the uh, egg bowl again, if they if they manage to you know maybe pull off an upset, whether it's an LSU like they did a couple years ago, you know uh, under Mike Leach, um, awesome. But I. It don't mean we hate your team if we pick yeah. your team last, you know. I mean, that's it's just you got to rank them one yeah. through seven one way or another. Right. Yeah. Just time at six. And it was so two, when they fire sixes. Zach Arnett. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesse, before you go, tell the folks where can they find your work. Yeah, man, you can find my stuff uh, at, at On3. Um, I'm on the front page almost every day. You can catch me on Twitter at Jesse R.E.'s Simonton. So always happy to catch up with you two. Glad, glad. Glad y'all had me on. Love your work. Love your work. Thanks, man. Thank you. Oh, that was great. All right, most shows would have ended right there because that was two outstanding interviews. Really appreciate it from Jesse and Cole. But we got more to break down. Let's start with Texas A&M. That was a big storyline going into media days. Nobody knows what the hell to make of A&M and their new look offense. And you get a feeling that uh, Jimbo Fisher's got a lot more uh, knowledge than he's letting on because everybody was asking him about the play calling duties with Bobby Petrino. He refused to get into it. This is multiple questions. Let's kick it over to Jimbo facing some what should be layup questions, but he is making it more difficult than it really needs to be. Bringing Bobby Petrino as an offensive coordinator, a lot, a lot of experience. He's worked at a lot of different places. I just want to know, entering this first season, what what's the – what, what, what are the responsibilities lie between you and Bobby as far as between play calling and just running the offense? Well, I'm not going to get into all the dynamics in which we have, but Bobby takes it. He, he, he runs those rooms and does those rooms. We're all now, I'm, but I'm in offensive rooms. I'm in defensive rooms all the time as a head coach. You have to be because you get what's going on. But great respect. Like I say, Bobby's one of the best play callers, one of the best offensive minds in college football, has for a long time, and quarterback guys. So he and I have a great respect, great work ethic, and have, it's been wonderful so far. And then I'm not going to get into – from a schematic standpoint of what's going on or that part of it, but this went very well and we're very blessed. The specifics of the scheme, but um, has the offensive game plan been a collaborative effort between you and uh, Coach Petrino, or has it been well? One, it always one is one because Bobby and I've went against each other for many years. There's a lot of things he's done I like, a lot of things I've done he's like. We've been friends for years, but then you always do that things that work by fit your personnel and how it goes, and then we'll we'll, we'll work it through and how we do. And I have to be honest, because I am high on A&M, but the fact that Jimbo won't go here, that he can't just say, hey, we're giving this to Bobby, it's Bobby's show, and I'm just going to oversee it, just anything like that would be better than this nonsense he's given us. It has me hesitating on my hype for Texas A&M, because I know nothing these coaches say in a press conference setting, it doesn't really mean anything. It's not going to affect the field, but... If he can't go this far <laughs> with why he brought on Bobby Petrino, what in the world's going on there? 
It just suggests that uh, this combustible nature of this relationship, which I have no knowledge of it being bad at the time or anything, but what happens when the season rolls around with tricky games like Miami and Arkansas early in the season? I don't know. I don't know. This is tricky. But what really will matter more than this coaching drama that I'm even I'm reading into may not be drama at all. Receivers. I went on Tex Ags during SEC Media Days. I said AM's got the best receivers in the SEC. Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, who we're about to hear from in a second, Moose Muhammad, and don't forget Noah Thomas, breakout candidate, and Micah Tease, a freshman. I'm really high on him hearing great things. Here's Jimbo on just more how explosive this passing game can get this season. Receiver core wise, between, you know, Evan and Moose and, and, and those guys. Seems like big playability might be there more, more so this year. Well, hopefully think? it is. I mean, from two things, experience, and I think you have speed. And I think the emergence of, you know, Noah. See, Noah was our MVP of the spring. Everybody forgets about him, which, I mean, guys, he wasn't good. He was really good. Now, you didn't get to see him in the spring game because he got nicked up on that first drive in there. But the things he does, the versatility being in the slot, he can move around Moose. As you saw last year, can catch the football as well. Anias' versatility, the things he does. Evan, of course, with uniqueness. And you know, hopefully now you can even take him and move him in different positions to create matchups. And I think that's where the knowledge of those guys can happen. But all those guys have either size or speed or quickness that can create big plays, whether it's going deep or even catch and run things where, you know, in your screen games or your underneath games, and, and, and we have. And, but also Micah Tease, Cottrell. I mean, those guys have, have done a, a, a tremendous job in what they're doing. Um, we had the new Anthony Jordan just came in as a transfer, can really run. Uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a great group of guys in that room that can have it, and we, that's the name of the game. You've got to create big plays. And having that ability, and I think as we get better in the offensive line to be able to create time and different things that we are able to do and experience a quarterback, hopefully we can get that ball down. Now, why I really wanted to highlight those comments, because A&M fans know I don't think the rest of the SEC realizes how pathetic A&M was passing the football, getting ex- explosive plays. A&M – Pass plays of 20 or more yards, 89th in the country. Pass plays of 30 or more yards, 111th in the country. Pass plays of 40 or more yards, 104th. I mean, these are pathetic, pathetic numbers here that Jimbo Fisher's offense put up last fall. We're putting that behind us, though. We're getting high-flying and explosive because Anaya Smith, certainly he's been coached up here. He almost gave away some trade secrets. He's hyping up his offense. This is better than any Jimbo comments on the offense. Let's kick it over to Anaya Smith, star receiver here for the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, what can you tell us about how the offense is progressing this offseason, what you've seen uh, with, the, uh, with the changes they've made in the last few months? Um, one thing I'll definitely say is uh, Coach Petrino has come in and you know sparked the energy, sparked some light in us. Uh, Opened up the playbook a little bit more. Um, not going to speak too much on scheme-wise, but it's very exciting. Let's just say so, the least, for sure. All right, if that didn't fire you up, I know what will. One of our favorites, we went off fine bombs and said, please, God, the one guy we want to talk to, Billy Lucci from Texags, get to the bottom of all this Jimbo nonsense. Let's kick it over. Long interview here with Billy Lucci. Really, really, really appreciate Billy spending this time talking some Texas A&M football. And, of course, Texas coming into the league soon. We're here with Billy Lucci, Tex Ags, the man himself. No one better covers Texas A&M, the Tex Ags, and, and Billy Lucci, you spearhead that thing. So 
really appreciate you coming by with us. Absolutely. I, I'm, when you when you told, asked me to come on, I was like, hell yeah, I, I love what you guys do. You know that. And uh, y'all are just entertaining, man, and very, you know, you can get a lot of information. Y'all, you guys do great at interviewing the guests, but you keep it fun, yeah. and I just love that. Like, especially in this league, yeah. and it's so serious, Absolutely. and you got coaches wanting to kill each other, and fan bases going nuts, and you know, like, you're gonna, you guys put yourself out there every week, and for my thing is for everyone that that goes nuts and gripes and complains, there's hundreds of people that y'all are. Uh, Keep it informed and entertained every day. So yeah, keep it up, I, man. I just love the way. I love the way you guys are, have grown it from just literally the ground up, yeah. and it just. I mean, y'all are known throughout the SEC now. That ain't an easy thing to do. <laughs> That's at not all. always a good thing either. You know? It is though. It is. It Absolutely. is. You know that. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, I'd love to talk about me all day long. But <laughs> <laughs> I did. You know, I'm. We want to go back to last year, yep. and, and we're going to go briefly. But it was not a successful season, clearly. But from your perspective, is that – I mean, is that something you, you like? Or I mean, obviously you like to win and yeah. everything like that. But, you know, what I'm saying, everybody had their eyes on Texas A&M last year, and it felt like for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So compared to this season, what is uh, – I mean, you've had successful seasons, bad seasons, just – just your perspective of, of how last year played out. It's really interesting because I, you know, really, I won't say all I know, but what I know is A&M football, not only A&M football, A&M sports, I understand, like, the Aggie psyche. Yeah. As you guys, you know, when you, when you just went to a school and, and then that's what you cover. I've seen it all. Yeah. Except championships. I've seen it all. <laughs> but it is – Texas A&M sports teams always, and I think this goes back to just the Aggie and, and the blue-collar you know, beginnings, the humble beginnings of the university and, and everybody going off to war during, you know, and during you know, the World Wars and being an all-male military for so long. They just – Texas A&M teams seem to – be at their best always when they feel disrespected yeah. or when they feel like there's a chip on the shoulder and there's something to prove. You go back to Billy Gillespie and some of those best A&M basketball teams. Buzz Williams these last couple of years when, when, when they struggle in the non-conference and they make these runs. And even Buzz's rant last year when they didn't get into the tournament. And Aggie baseball a couple of years ago, they lose to Penn, a series to Penn, and then go to Omaha. It, when they're – when they're counted out, A&M sports teams seem to be at their best. I don't understand. I can't put my finger on why, but it's just been the case. Yeah. To lose seven games last year, they were embarrassed. I know Jimbo was embarrassed in what happened on the field. I know the players, they come in every day. Connor Wigman is sitting there looking at the QB rankings. Every He's like, I don't pay attention to it, but I go, but you, you are keeping score. He's like, you know I am. <laughs> you know, like you heard yeah. Anias this week. Yeah. They, I'm not happy they lost seven. That was painful to watch. But they were such a young team. I thought they were way overrated. And I think we, at six, when you didn't return a starting quarterback, you had a very young O-line and you were going to play 17- and 18-year-old true freshman on the D-line. 
that ain't a winning formula in the SEC. I didn't think they'd go five and seven. I thought they should have been like ranked in the top fifteen, not the top six. The wheels fell off, and I do think uh, a humbled and hungry A and M team should be much improved this year. It feels it feels like that's the theme, and, and and one of the things that caught me with Jimbo in the big room the other day was the not just accountability from him. Obviously, that's what the head coach has got to say. But he was talking about these boys in the locker room. Yeah. And, and you're talking about the chip on the shoulder. So I feel like that's been kind of the narrative here is like, hey, it's it's time to put up or shut up. Yeah. You know? and, and it is. You know, it's your six. And, and I'm not saying they have to go from five wins to, to winning the SEC or playing for it. But they have to be – they have to matter in the SEC this year. They have to be relevant. And that includes big wins. That includes getting out of September intact yeah. at Miami. Auburn, you know, early. I think I think people are saying, well, you'd rather catch you freeze early than late. I kind of disagree. I think early is scarier because there's a lot of unknown, right. both with their personnel, what they're going to do. I think later teams start to figure them out. The depth catches up. Miami, Auburn, and Arkansas in September. If A&M, and they don't have to go 3-0 and in those. They could go 2-1 and and beat Alabama, and the whole thing changes. But – if they do go 3-0, and and I don't care if they're all by one point, and I don't care if Arkansas doinks one off the goalpost, if they go 3-0, and they I, I believe they'll be the surprise team in the SEC because I think they're just going to keep just getting better, and I think they have depth. But, yeah, if they're good enough to win, I don't think those are great teams, but beat three dangerous teams, a couple good teams maybe in September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they emerge as, as a surprise team in the league. So I opened this event Monday morning. It was on Texax yeah. between David Nuno and Ollie Buchanan, the yeah. two of the best out there, and we were ready to bury the hatchet, and I was I was trying to get them going <laughs> a little bit here, see if I, can, if I can get you going. And they no pushback here. It shocked me. I said if Jimbo does not win eight games this year, you have to fire his ass. And they, they didn't say yes, yeah. but they said they didn't say no. And they said he has got to win. So what, what would you I'll say tell, to that? Here's what I would say to that. I, I, nine short, is, short of something crazy yeah. happening. Nine you know is I mean? my number where I say if they go nine and three, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, like, hey, I'm really happy with nine wins. In your, but I, the bounce back, I'll say, okay. And particularly I kind of add that and win a bowl game. Mm-hmm. Ten and three from five and seven. Uh, if they go ten and two, they're playing in a New Year's Six. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, he right. might he'll be in contention That's for SEC. That's about what I think they'll do. Ten and two this year. If they do that, I, I think that would be a great year. And I think nine and three with a bowl win. If you think about the path to get to nine, kind of a couple wins there, he'd have to get. I'd be pretty excited. Say, okay, this thing worked. That would probably mean that the quarterback play was good. That would probably mean that the Bobby Petrino thing worked out. Eight. I'll tell you this. I would be. Absolutely shocked. I would not at all expect them to fire him. And it's a contract thing there. Yeah. Um, to me, I would be bitterly disappointed in like a seven and five. Mm-hmm. Eight and four doesn't do much for me. That's getting back to what A&M's kind of been since yeah. joining the. And I, I always argue with people like Longhorns. And by the way, good luck with them. You're, you're gonna. I'll, I'll go, gonna I got your you. back, I'm but be right. Yeah, that. but A and M's been a good program since they joined the SEC. They haven't been great, but they've been good. 
they had in in eleven years they've had two top five finishes. Yeah. They've won a Heisman. They've you know they've beaten Bama twice. They've won you know three of the last five against LSU. They, they have been a good program. I think they're the fifth out of fourteen yeah, since they've top joined. half, no doubt. But they haven't been great. And you hired Jimbo to be great. You built all these facilities to be great. Yeah. And they're, if you go by there today, they're building them two hundred million dollars more of it. So. Yeah, there's an expectation level that's higher than eight and four, but I think it's a, it's a nuanced discussion now because of the contract and stuff. And I, I'll say this, just from talking to Jimbo, he gets that, and yeah. he's not happy with how the last two years. Somebody said, "Well, he's probably just you know he doesn't care because they can just buy him out." That's not how he thinks. It's not how he got to where he got. I think half the reason he doesn't mention that he's turning over play calling to Petrino, even though. Bobby is going to call plays is because he's just that competitive and that you know prideful about it and stuff and I just think he's like I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I'm not going to sit here and explain it and for better or worse right I think we all have our our personality traits where you go well for better or worse yeah. but yeah I think I don't think there would be change at that um, I'd be really disappointed you know if they went from five and seven to seven and five because there's too much talent there's too much talent. They've recruited too much talent. There, yeah. There's there's too much at stake, you know, and, and it should be better. Absolutely. And, and I want to get to – I don't want to get back to where they were. I'll, if if they did what you said, if they went 10-2 and two to a New Year's Six Bowl, I'd say, okay, this is a team that could contend for a national title in 2024, an right. SEC title. That's what all this money, whether it's to Jimbo, whether it's to the – that's what all this is about. They're not. They're not doing that just to, uh, you know, be the butt of everyone's jokes when they lose to App State. You know, obviously. So, I want to ask you because you mentioned Petrino. You know, that's, you know, you know Jimbo better than anybody in this room. You know, and it feels like every time that name comes up, there's a little bit of yeah. animosity or something. You know, there's just something. He's just not coming out. Like we had drink earlier this week. He says, "Hey, I'm releasing this offense yep. to my new coordinator." Freeze, do the yeah. same, right? Why, why are we not? Why? Why do you think the reluctance? Is it the pride you think with Jimbo? I think it's all right. So it's, I don't think it's animosity with Petrino. Just yeah, right. from the simple. F- and they, I'm it's not saying they're going to get. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not saying they're going to get along perfectly either. I mean, in big you got, words, you know, I throw them out. There. <laughs> 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 Me too. You're like uh, my my. Our, they don't our always other, hit. You know, our other our other co-owner Hunter. I always give him a hard. Time, he just makes up words, <laughs> so I just call him words that I make up just to see if he starts using yeah. them, and he yeah. does. So it's pretty funny. But uh, no, I, I think obviously in a highly competitive situation, you're going to see they're going to uh, you know, camera will probably catch them having words. It might not take more than a couple games, but I think he's so excited about having. I, I don't think I know how fired up he is about Petrino. And don't forget, there's also Jim Chaney's on the staff now as an analyst, and enough people don't talk about that. I don't feel like when you look at his yeah. resume yeah. and his personality for any, you know, he's an awesome dude. Like, he's yeah. kind of oh, like yeah. a – he's kind of probably the guy that can step between. And go, but you think about that room right now, and it's it's Jimbo, it's Petrino, it's Chaney, it's, you know, Steve Adazio who's been head coach three different spots. Yeah. It's Coley who's been an OC at Miami and Georgia. I think Jimbo's having a lot of fun right now. And even talking to, like, Coley and some of those other guys, 
I think there's a lot of fun in that offensive staff room where it all seems new and fresh, even though it's going to be very similar schematically. I think things like the formations and the pre-snap motion and the, the verbiage and, and the pace of play are we're going to change more than like what they're attempting to do philosophically. So um, why does he not say it? I just I don't I don't know. And and yeah. I I think there's some level and, and I'm not saying it's the way I would be. Yeah. But I just think he's just going I'm not going to tell it's kind of like Nick Saban with a was it Maria Taylor, you know? I'm not answering it, so yeah, stop yeah. it. I think it's <laughs> almost like that. And you know how these coaches <laughs> yeah. can be and I think it's literally like the more you guys ask, the less I'm going to answer. And and then he answered it to Feinbaum. <laughs> like, I'm like, wait, right before he left. He's like literally on the way out of town, sits down with Paul. And I don't even know that Paul, how, you know, and he just boom, boom, and, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wait, what just happened? So, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not a psychologist. I play one on, on Texas. <laughs> so. you, you mentioned Connor Wigman and quarterback rankings. I don't know if you've seen mine. But I put them out Fourth of July, yeah. and what I do, it's it's different. I, I'm not ranking them today. I'm projecting where they would rank at the end of the season. Yep. I have Connor Wigman as a top five quarterback in the SEC. Is that realistic? Do you think with Bobby Petrino, yeah. with what I think is the best receiving core in the SEC, with every experience on the offensive line, five star running back behind him, he's got all the pieces. Do you think he can be a top five quarterback in the in the SEC? Yeah, I do, and 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 to me. This is why you're good at what you do. And, you know, there's probably a quarterback that you had 11 that their fan base is raging about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're, you're looking ahead. You're showing some foresight with that. And, and, I, and you're going out on a limb that other people in the league haven't got. I feel like Connor, first of all, I'm, I will say this. Max Johnson had a really good spring. Yeah. This dude, like – Threw for 2,800 yards and 27 touchdowns and six picks at LSU. He beat Arkansas and Miami when A&M was at rock bottom last year. Um, people are just completely forgetting about him. And even to a fault, I think even sometimes I don't talk about him enough. Even at LSU, outdo yeah. Kyle Trask, outdo Matt Corral. Some yeah. Big, big wins for LSU, too. Yeah. Beat A&M. And it was – y'all watch that game. That was all him. Yeah. That was – no one else on that – that was – Max Johnson beat A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then literally a couple weeks later, he's transferring. <laughs> it's so weird today, right? But he uh, – that battle's not over. I just think Connor's the future of the position in A&M. And, and, but he just has he – has, he's going to have to go out and win it because Max, Max is, he pushed him all spring. I, I would call it dead even coming out of spring. But the way Connor finished the year, he's a five-star himself, you know, and – beating LSU, and I know A-Chain ran wild, but go watch that game and some of the throws he made early and late, mm-hmm. so the scramble on third and Running eight to outrun Perkins. Perkins. Yeah. yeah, like he played like a uh, – and he is. He's a winner. He's a dog, and, he's, and the players know that about him. Uh, but, I look, eight, eight touchdowns, no turnovers last year. Last time we saw him, he's beating LSU. He had the pedigree. Um, I think he is probably the most slept-on quarterback in the league, your ranking notwithstanding. And I think five's fair. I think that's somewhere in that five to seven range. You know, yeah. and, and to me, to start the year, I'd have him ahead of a lot of guys that people, you know, have ahead of him. 
I, I don't know. He, if you go back and look at his game against Ole Miss, statistically it's one of the best first starts by a true freshman in SEC history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was you that was putting that out. Somebody, I was shocked to see it. Like, it was something in the 330-something yard game, range, right? four touchdowns, yeah. no turnovers, uh, some rushing yards. It was like 400 yards of offense. It was he had one throw. Pretty insane. A guy, guy was about to hit him in the face. Defenders all around Evan Stewart. He put it where only he could do it. It was one of the most impressive throws I saw last year. Yeah, and it's so much. And that's what I love about Wiggy is it's so much off feel. And, and, and you know, he got wiped out in that Ole Miss game. He got hit and, and really probably knocked out. I think on the next play through a touchdown to yeah. Noah Thomas. He's tough. He's not a. He's a tall dude. He's he's you know he's probably a little taller than me. I'm a little over six two. He's probably six three, but he's he's still had you know he's he's you can tell he's still a kid that played baseball and didn't do a lot of weight rooms. But yeah. he is uh, he's tough, but so instinctive. That's the thing I like at quarterback. Be instinctive. Just make plays. When he runs, he's like more like Mahomes than Johnny. Is he's running to get himself some room to throw it. And he can find guys off schedule, hit them on target, yeah. and gets rid of the ball really quickly. So if he wins that job and starts to come into his own, I'm excited about what he can do. Yeah. We had someone on, Billy, this week. They said, you think SEC fans are arrogant? Just wait till this damn Texas comes into the league. Yeah. Can you give us uh, – and did you see they're saying horns down it's going to be a – a penalty, perhaps, in the SEC. Yeah. We're not going to let this bullshit fly, out. Yeah, we? we don't need that shit. Like, we, we don't need – and I can tell all my Longhorn friends, I got so many. I mean, even some of the ones on Twitter that we go back I, – I, I, like, it's all in love. But I hate them. I hate <laughs> – I hate Texas, and I hate – but but I I love the individuals. And, and so many of them come up to me and we say, hey, I, I battle it out with you on Twitter. It's, it's, it's all in fun, but damn, it's one of those rivals that – I I hate the thought of losing to them more than I love the idea of beating yeah. them. They're, it's that. So the SEC is getting a great rivalry with a lot of hate. And look, you're bringing back A and M Texas, OU Texas is coming in, Texas Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably Oklahoma Missouri. That'll be a good OU one. Missouri. And I think you're bringing in two of the three. Egg Bowl will be in there, too. But maybe two of the three best rivalries in the conference are going to be because of this move. Yeah. Aggies and Longhorns and the Red you know, the Red River shootout at the Cotton Bowl to go along with the Iron Bowl. Yeah. I mean, that's how big these are going to be. But, yes, they are insanely <laughs> arrogant. They think they're going to go – see, see, they think because they almost beat Bama that <laughs> it's fine. Like, see, that, that, league, that league's nothing. That league's nothing. Well – you almost beat Bama in one game, and then you went and played in the Big 12. Right. And you know how many games Bama's almost lost in the last two years? Probably like eight or nine, <laughs> ten of them even, if you count the losses and the near misses. Right. And they, they, they go crazy about L.A.M. and moral victories. More, and you go, you guys, this is the ultimate moral victory. <laughs> A&M actually beat Bama a year ago. Well, you, we had a, you know. If Quinn Ewers wouldn't got hurt, A&M beat him with a backup court. Like, the, they will never stop. Right. They will never stop, and you cannot beat them enough for them to be, like, humble or, or anything. Like, think about this. They've ridiculed A&M for the last 
12 years being in the league. Uh, it's overrated. It's top-heavy. You guys haven't done anything. Then they come into the conference, and it's like they're planning the parade and the celebrations, <laughs> and they, they can't wait to play at all these places that they've downplayed. The, the most hypocritical, arrogant fan base in, I would say, college sports, I would say in, in U.S. sports yeah. are the Longhorns. And God bless them because, like I said, I really – some of my dear friends and I, like some coaches on that staff I have the world of respect for. Uh, a couple of them have been at A&M. Yeah. Great dudes. But, yeah, man. When, Screw when do you, them. When do you I mean, <laughs> I, I can't wait. I can't wait till the Aggies and Horns play. It. I didn't. I wanted it at Kyle Field just because it's. You'd rather it be there than not. Right. But it it doesn't matter where they play. I didn't want to play them. While they were in, the Big Twelve because I just felt like you're throwing them a lifeline. Yeah. You look at their home schedule every year before. Now they're starting to add a big name. But even now, those home and homes are every other year. Yeah. So they play Bama at home. They don't anybody good at home this year. Next year they play, I, I don't know who it is, if it's Michigan or somebody. The year after that, it's nobody. They wanted A&M in there, so it would be Bama, A&M, Michigan, A&M, LSU. You know, yeah. that's how they were teeing up. Why give them that? When you're in the SEC, you have the recruiting advantage with that. Why give them any help when, when if you split with them one and one or two and two over four years – they're winning, yeah. Because the record's the same, but they're gaining, they're gaining an advantage by having that big game that they otherwise don't have. You don't need it with yeah. all your. Pl- so I didn't like it then. Now I love it. Now I love it, and and now I I just wanted it to be a big stakes game, and with both of them in the SEC, it's a level playing field. Is, I, is I think Sark's doing a good the, job right now. Is there a particular time of the season you'd like to see these? I mean, do you want this game one opener, or how how would you like it? Do I? I think I've heard Thanksgiving float. That's around. what I like because as much as the LSU game, LSU fans don't want to call it a rivalry. I'm like, well, I want to talk about that and say, but but I'd like it to be Thanksgiving just because yeah. of the history of it, and I'm a little bit nervous that in that first game they might try to make it. Week one or week two, just because it's back, and, right. and I could see the SEC saying, "Man, let's just blow it out." Yeah. I wouldn't like that because that early in the season, you know, teams aren't what they're going to become. Right. Thanksgiving, both those teams could be, you know, six and five, and it's a massive game. Yeah. Right. God forbid if they're both. And by the way, you look at both their rosters, and Sark. I, I'm giving Texas a, a, a lot of shit, but Sark, he's doing, I think, an infinitely better job than Venables yeah. in terms of building his roster to be ready for this league. And that's because he's at Bama. Flood's been at Bama. Jeff Banks has been at Bama and A&M. Mm-hmm. Terry Joseph's been at A&M. He's got a staff that, that knows, like, if we don't go in there with a certain amount of talent, particularly in the trenches, it ain't going to go well. So I think they're doing a better job. That game could be, if A&M has the kind of season that you think they are and that I hope they do, that 24 A&M Texas game could be among the biggest in this conference, not because of the rivalry, because of, like, what's at stake. So, But LSU, <laughs> they don't think it's a rivalry. They'll tell you that. You know, all our guys over here will say, we've had a premature Gatorade dump. We've had a fist fight on the sidelines. We've had, uh, you know, Coach Craig Thorpe, who is another Aggie guy and good friend of mine, but the thing with the – 
pacemaker after yeah. that game. <laughs> you had A&M storm the field. You had this year when A&M beats the brakes off of them. Is there a, have a chance to you know right. reach the playoff? You have Joe Burrow on senior night getting his revenge and go you know fifty to three on A and M, seven overtimes. Do we need to keep going? Like <laughs> Scott Woodward leaving, Jimbo Fisher, who they hate, and now he's three and two against LSU after A and M could never beat LSU. Uh, it's one thing after another. Hell, LSU just hired A and M's pitching coach. I can just keep going. This is it is a absolutely a rivalry and. and they don't want to. They don't want to call it that. But damn, it's it's a rivalry. That's why we Kendrick Rogers and I do the podcast. Mm-hmm. We call it the Make It a Cup podcast because they get so mad that they ain't made cups, <laughs> which is silly. I get it. I don't own one of the cups, but they made seventy four, seventy two cups, and I'm going. All right, it, it is. I wish they wouldn't have just because all the crap we catch. But yeah, it was one. It was like the a historic game. It was yeah, like the no longest doubt. game ever. Um, but still, the Cubs. I know. I it went it. on so long. I get he, it. He LSU. Fell asleep. He fell asleep. <laughs> did you? I, did. I gave up. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you a funny story about that is Johnny. Uh, I was down on the field, and a buddy of ours has a suite up there, and it's it's quite the party suite. So I try to stay away from it during games since I'm working down <laughs> there. So, but they're up there. Kellen throws the pick, and Johnny is in a race to get to the Chimmies, the bar. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. You know, interception, let's go. He said as soon as it was in the air, he knew it was a pick. He goes, come on. And, and everybody left. Yeah. They raced down to beat the traffic. They get to the bar, and he's like, they don't even know what happened. They don't even know that the knee was down. <laughs> and they won't let him back into the stadium. <laughs> and so they're out there watching the whole game, seven overtimes from oh, the bar no. and can't get back in. Oh, <laughs> Pretty funny. I was going to ask for a Manziel story, and you delivered Billy. Last thing real yeah. quick. Manziel documentary. I know you're close with Johnny. Mm-hmm. It's coming out. I assume you're in it. And, and can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm in it. Um, I didn't know how much. They interviewed me uh, after the first football game last year. It's almost a year ago. Uh, really bad hair, but we're just going <laughs> to plow through that. I wasn't ready for it. I was like, I had a hat, and they're like, oh, you can't wear a hat. And I'm going, why I see I see documentaries people are, but I didn't want to they were yeah, so yeah. good and they're so I mean it was an incredible interview they interviewed me I think for like three hours and just so then they call and say you're you're you know you made the cut you're gonna be in it I think I don't I wouldn't say a lot but I'm gonna be in it more than just a quote you know and right. uh so I'm excited to see it um I don't know where it's gonna where it's gonna go um I kind I know who they interviewed and stuff. I get the feeling, and I have no idea because I, 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 and I don't know if they would divulge a little more or not. But I just feel like when you're dealing with those creatives, and they did such a, they're such cool people. They did such a badass job with the Manti Teo mm-hmm. one. It's yeah. the same, yeah. same producers and, and everything. And I'm, so I didn't want to just push the limits of how much I could. I was just grateful that they included me and we provided them with a lot of footage from Tex Ags. So. I, I think I, the vibe, what I think it kind of will be is more of a, this is, this was this magical little moment in time where everything just kind of came together for yeah. this guy. And what was it about that place at that time that allowed this to happen? And, and 
and I could be totally wrong, but for and and for a, a player that didn't had didn't sniff any professional success ten years later, he still moves the needle. Yeah, you know, I I meant to bring it up to Paul. You know, it was ten years ago. Where are we going in the twenty three season? Ten years ago, right now, going into the thirteen season, right? Was that circus that this place was? When Johnny missed the Manning camp or got kicked, <laughs> yeah, kicked yeah, out of the Manning yeah. camp a couple of days earlier and comes into media day, and Paul would say it, and everybody said, the only thing that was comparable was when Tebow came through before his last year at Florida, and it was a, an absolute circus. And, and 10 years later, he does still move the needle. Um, just, and it was, it was so interesting because it's because he, how he played the game, mm-hmm. and to me, like how he went about living his life and a party life let's mm-hmm. just call it that he, he's not out there hurting he, he's a he's a i mean he's like a little brother i mean he's a great dude we live but it parties. just on a different scale <laughs> yeah <laughs> same right everybody everybody does it to scale i've right, had plenty right. of wild fr- i've had friends that are a lot wilder than johnny i've had <laughs> friends that are, are close friends of mine that when in their college days were were assholes they were really <laughs> mean like beating people up and so you know like football people but Johnny wasn't that. He just he just pushed it to the limits of having fun, and he understood the access he had at his fingertips, and it kind of coincided with social media. Had he been 10 years earlier, he's not connecting with Drake and LeBron and, and yeah. having people DM him, or he knew, I can tweet that I'm going to be at, at this concert, mm-hmm. and there's a chance that that artist or their right-hand guy or something are going to, message me and say hey come backstage or who how many passes you know yeah. he figured that out real quickly and and that's that's a lot on a kid that at the time was literally 19 turning 20 so uh but i think it's i think johnny's looking for, i know he's looking forward or he, he's probably like am i wonder how this is gonna yeah play out I, I i think he's seen it i haven't even talked to him about that but i talked to him a couple weeks ago prior and he was He's like, it's 10 years in, man. I'm about to be 30. This is the perfect way to kind of close that chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's not shamed of it. He's proud. He's like, that was a legendary run. <laughs> yeah. and he's like, a run. He was. He's like, he said that to me. He's like, that was legendary. Legends don't, the legend of that will never die. He's like, but it's 10 years later. He's in a good, a good spot. And he's yeah. like, it's a perfect way just to kind of close that chapter. For him personally, mm-hmm. so it, it's I'm That's excited cool. to see it. I'm really excited yeah, about that wait. Florida one too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. All right, Billy. Everybody knows who you are, but can you tell the audience in case they don't know where can they find you? Yeah, you texags.com is our site and, and all things AM, But you know we talk about everything SEC over there. Because again, it's another beauty about this league is everybody cares about everybody. Yeah. We all hate everybody. We all love everybody. <laughs> we all care about. Um, and. Uh, Tech, on Twitter, it's at Billy Lucci. Same on Instagram, but I I'm kind of boring on there. That's just my little <laughs> vacation uh, stories or whatever. But, yeah, at Billy Lucci on Twitter, L-I-U-C-C-I. I right. really appreciate it, Billy. That was yeah, great. Thanks, great. Next on the docket, LSU, Brian Kelly, championship expectations. At least that's my expectations. Apparently, I'm alone <laughs> on a lot of that after seeing this media ballot. But uh, what is it about LSU that creates so much ch- championships? I mean, at, o- at Orgeron, obviously, Les Miles, 
Nick Saban. Now the women's basketball, baseball, I mean, they're just – that's title town down there right now in Baton Rouge. So what is it about LSU? Here's what Coach Kelly had to say. Coach, uh, three previous coaches at LSU have won national championships. Certainly no pressure, of course. But what is it about, about this institution uh, that provides, uh, you know, kind of an infrastructure to do that? unapologetic commitment to wanting to be excellent both in the classroom and on the football field. I think a lot of universities sometimes want to apologize for wanting to be good at both, and, and I don't quite understand that sometimes. It takes resources, no doubt, uh, but it, and it takes, um, I think, a vision uh, that, that says we want to do both. We want to be great in the classroom. We want to be great on the athletic fields. Um, LSU wants that. Um, that's the bar. I knew that. And that's why I wanted to be the head coach here. And speaking of championship aspirations, you're not going to get there unless you beat Alabama like LSU did last year. It's going to be a hell of a lot tougher doing it in Tuscaloosa. But I thought this was interesting. He was asked about, uh, you know, beating Alabama. What's that do for your program? He says, hey, we ain't on that level yet. We're not on the Alabama-Georgia level. We got to go out there and earn it. This is exactly what you want to hear because, you know, former LSU coaches, one in particular I'm thinking about, we loved them, but had one great season and went downhill from there. That's not the expectation at LSU with Brian Kelly running the ship. Let's kick it over um, to him. Last year, I know last year doesn't matter to this year, um, but when you beat Alabama football, it certainly matters. How can that win last year and over time continue to catapult your program and your trajectory going forward? Yeah, I was asked that question earlier. Um, look, Alabama and Georgia are the benchmark for what we're looking for. And, and what is that in particular? It's consistency and performance year in, year out. We did it one time. So we're not in that conversation at this point. So um, what we're hoping that it catapults us to is a more consistent football program that is competing for championships year in and year out. We don't want any dips in our programs at all. Um, and, and I think when, when you look at it from a tangible standpoint, what it did for us is it helps us in recruiting that we don't have to paint a narrative that, that's not true. In other words, that we can say, look, we're going to compete with Alabama. Um, we're, we're going to be able to beat Alabama. It's not a fantasy. It's a reality. And so there is some tangible evidence there that you can use in recruiting. But the rest of it is really about it giving you momentum for consistency and performance. And one more thing from Brian Kelly. I thought this was pretty interesting. I'll tell you why. But according to Kelly, we got two starting caliber quarterbacks. Um, it depends on what you mean by two quarterbacks. We're not going to rotate them in and out of the game. Um, everybody has a different opinion as to what that means. We think they're both capable of being starters. Uh, Jaden is our starter, um, and, and Garrett will be ready, and we'll continue to prepare him. Um, he got first-team reps in the spring. He'll continue to get those first-team reps. Uh, we believe we can win a championship with both of them, but what you won't see is uh, one series, this quarterback, and another series, another quarterback. You saw that in the bowl game, which was a different environment than it would be in, say, uh, an in-season situation. Now, why is that so important? I think Jaden Dales is in for a huge breakout season. I don't want to say Hen and Hooker level type season because 
I don't think it'll be quite that good. But, I mean, he'll be in contention for best quarterback in the SEC. He'll be in contention potentially for the Heisman if LSU does as well as I think they can do. But here's a little caveat. Being down there at me today, seeing Jaden Daniels in person, he's a small guy. He's slender. He's he's about one half of Joe Milton. So he's slippery. I mean, he's dynamic with his legs. He got banged up last year. I think LSU, what we may not realize now, I mean, they may have got the coup of the offseason by keeping Garrett Nussmeyer in LSU. He could be a starting quarterback at a few schools in the SEC. I really do think right now they may need him to win a game or help multiple games in the SEC this fall. And based on what uh, Brian Kelly had to say there, I mean, I, th- I think he would agree with that sentiment. If they asked Garrett Nussmeyer to win them a game, I guess an Ole Miss, I guess an Auburn, I guess a Mississippi State, I think he could do it. Now, last team wanted to hit on here, Missouri, of course. They went day one. Eli Drinkwitz went into this with on a mission. He did not want to talk about much. He's talk- he talked more about Cinnabons than anything fun or you know, the media there tried to trip him up, tried to get him to talk about Sonny Dykes, talk about this, talk about that. He wouldn't want to do it. But Jesse, who we had on, great question here. The hire of Kirby Moore, why will that pay off? I mean, this is literally probably the hire that's going to define the drink era at Missouri. Let's kick it over to Eli, talking about his, the first time ever he's hired an offensive coordinator in Kirby Moore. Edmonton on three. You guys, you made a strong hire in Coach Baker a year ago, and obviously uh, the defensive strides that you guys made were, were quite notable. What gives you optimism uh, that you've made a similar move in Kirby Moore this offseason for, for the Tigers' offense? Yeah, I think um, obviously Blake was uh, just the perfect hire for us in the perfect situation. It's a combination of his personality uh, as well as his leadership ability on the defensive side of the ball to, to get – uh, really five guys that had never worked together all on the same page and get that defensive unit to really gel together and buy into his vision. And, you know, when I look at Blake, I see a guy who's going to be a future head coach and a guy who, who has the it factor to being successful and and um, re- just really thankful that our board uh, and AD and president um, gave him an extension to keep the continuity on our defensive side of the ball. You know, everybody's uniquely different and in every situation's you you know, a little bit different. Um, but I think Kirby, uh, much like um, Coach Baker, um, ha- has the right kind of chip on his shoulder w- with a little bit of a edge to prove something, um, to prove that he's not just the brother of somebody else or that he's just uh, been around, you know, some really good offenses that he can do it. Uh, and he's a grinder. Uh, he's a great communicator and teacher. Um, and uh, so I, I have a lot of confidence in his organization and the characteristics. And uh, Cruddy's a good play caller, man. You you watch, you know, really the games that I watched were not the games that uh, his quarterback, Jake Hayner, was playing. It was the ones when Jake was hurt and he had to call plays without Jake. And you look at those games and you go, wow, this guy really understands how to put a game plan together. And, you know, and the other games I like to watch is when you're a, a group of five school and you got to play a power five opponent. How do you game plan for that? How, how do you adjust? And, you know, when he was there, 
whether it was the bowl game calling plays or Oregon State uh, or Washington State or USC, watching those games and how he attacked those defenses um, and gave his team an opportunity through play calling to win a game, I thought was very important. Um, Coach Sonny Dox mentioned at the Big 12 Media Days that Missouri was playing in a lot of Big 12 championships and how he hasn't seen that much in the SEC. How do you feel about that? Well, when he was in Cal, he must not have realized that Missouri played in the SEC championship in 13 and 14. I don't know if he just blacked out those memories or what. But uh, I appreciate Sonny. I don't, I don't have any issue with that comment. But obviously, the, uh, Coach Pinkle in his first two years, I, I just want to correct the record, in his first two years played in two SEC championship games. So, uh, But other than that, I mean – uh, I, I think this day and age in college football, calling people out for transferring, uh, whether it's transferring jobs as coaches or transferring schools or whatever is kind of ridiculous. Like we are uh, – I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop, Cos. I'm going to stop. So SEC, they played in the – just as a point of clarification for Coach Dykes, Missouri played in the SEC championship in 2013 and 2014. Thanks, Coach. MIZ. Well, I'll tell you who else has got a chip on their shoulder. These Mizzou fans, they're so great. They're all up in our mentions. We were t- that's basically was the, the message of media days for some reason. Arkansas, South Carolina, on and on and on, disrespecting the Missouri Tigers. That whole fan base got a chip on their shoulder. So those comments should be music to their ears. Their new offensive coordinator, you know, he's coming in here on a mission to prove himself just like Blake Baker did last year, just like Drink's got to continue to do if he's going to keep that job at Missouri. And that is something we hit on with Gerard Hamilton from Power Mizzou. Gerard Hamilton, Power Mizzou, here covering them Tigers. Yeah. What, what's one thing you want to learn from uh, Drink at SUC Media Days? Man, there's a handful of things I want to <laughs> know. And uh, everybody obviously wants to know what's the situation with the quarterbacks at this point with the uh, – Jake Garcia, Sam Hornet, and Brady Cook. And we're probably not going to know that until a little bit later in fall camp. Right. But uh, I want to know what's going on with the offensive line situation. Uh, they've got so many moving parts there, so many new players uh, playing out of position, whether they were on the bench last year or they're, they're transferring in. Uh, they got Cameron Johnson, uh, all the uh, all AAC player coming from Houston. Mm-hmm. He, he got the uh, honor as a left guard. He'll be moving to center. They, have, they hope to have him be the starter. They've got uh, Armand Mimbu, who was a true freshman last year, who played really well at right tackle. They're going to move him to right guard. Um, and then they got Marcellus Johnson from Eastern Michigan. He had, I want to say, like 32 starts at Eastern Michigan. They're going to move him to right tackle, obviously, because they got uh, Javon Foster as their mainstay. Yep. Left guard will be the position where it's like a true position battle between Xavier Delgado, who was a starter last year, and um, – EJ and Doma Ogar, who was playing really well at right guard. He started a couple games, but he had like a lower leg injury that cut his season short. So uh, I'm just interested to know how the line is coming together and how those players playing at different positions this year are doing so far. What, do you think new offensive line coach helps or hurts? It may, it may be it, tough to say until we know the yeah, offense, too. It, yeah, we're going to we're gonna have to see a little bit of fall camp. We're going to have to see the first couple games to really – to understand it but having Brandon Jones come from Houston and then Cameron Johnson you know come in a couple weeks later after him that definitely helps and I don't know maybe it's a situation of you know just having some new blood in there kind of rejuvenate something or they find out something maybe they couldn't get together you know last year or something like that but uh maybe we'll find out you know first couple weeks of the season 
I don't know. I don't know if you've seen it from Cousin Shane, but he's saying ten, maybe eleven wins. How would Power <laughs> Mizzou Come react on, to in a ten-win season in Columbia? Oh man, you're gonna get people to hate <laughs> me, man. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm gonna be honest. Um, every time I see the schedule, I, it's either it's between six and six and up to eight and four. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm probably at seven and five. But my thing is. I think Kansas State, that's a game I have as a loss right now. Mm-hmm. And that's only because I don't know the quarterback situation with Missouri. Right. But Kansas State lost so many good players they had, whether they went to the draft or whatever it may be. Um, they're kind of reeling. That doesn't mean, you know, Chris Kleiman doesn't have new guys in there who can play, but they just lost so much talent. If I knew the situation at quarterback this year with Missouri, I think Missouri can win that game. I think it's a much more winnable game than maybe it was last year. What's the biggest rivalry for Mizzou fans, you think? Because I, Arkansas, I know they don't want to claim it, but that, I mean, hell, it, they, it feels like a rivalry to me. What, what, what do you think for Mizzou? Who's their biggest rival in the SEC? It's Arkansas. Yeah. And, and the thing about this, and I wrote about this earlier uh, in the offseason when they were throwing out the nine-game schedule and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I wrote Arkansas, like that was my first one, is because that's a rivalry that's spread outside of football. They take that very seriously in basketball, too, and no matter in other sports. So no matter what – you know, some of the fans are saying it's really uh, their biggest rival right now. That's that's who they're going at all the time. Mm-hmm. Are you convinced that Drake is uh, the right man for the job? Um, we're still we're finding still we're still we're still finding that out. Um, there's just always something wacky or something that that just goes awry. Like last year, I believe they they could have went eight and four. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, beat and Auburn. They should have definitely beat Auburn. I think the Kentucky game, they were coming back. I mean, they struggled in that first half. Brady Cook struggled in that first half. But he's the reason they got back and why, became, why they took the lead at one point. Um, and then you had that, that weird block punt situation going on where it was a flag. Yeah. And that was stupid. Th- that, was, that was weird. And so that's eight and four. And that's not even counting the, the Georgia game where they, they were leading most of the way and they had it in hand. Although with Georgia, it just felt like – it's Georgia. At some point, they were going to find their groove, and they were probably going to win it. But that was, again, another game where they were in it. So talking about an 8-4, and four, potentially 9-3 and three team last year, it, even though their record says 6-6, six and six, I think they're better than what people uh, say they are. Mm-hmm. I want to I ask you, uh, everybody knows Luther, you know, and, and, and I, I love love it, and I hate, I hate that he left. But who, who's, who's somebody we should be keeping our eye on to step up and, you know, kind of play that role? Oh man, uh, it's still Luther. But here's the thing with the wide receiver thing, uh, wide, resi- uh, wide receiver position. This year, I feel the team is much more happier what they have in the group as a whole. Last year was a lot of trying to put a square peg in a round hole. They had a lot of people kind of playing out of position because they had, you know, three of, the th- of their top four receivers were slot guys: Barrett Bannister, Luther Burden. And Dominic Lovett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lovett, he excelled in the slot last year. And Luther, he's so talented, you just got to get him on the field. So they played him outside. And then Barrett, you know, uh, you know, he, when he was in the rotation, he got in the slot because that's just where he was best at. Now they move Luther into the slot. They brought in um, – why well, it's slipping my mind. Uh, Theo East. There we go. He's going to play outside. And I think he averaged like 19 yards per reception last year. Lovett averaged 15.2 or something like that last year. And he was the team's deep threat. So they got somebody who can stretch the field. They got Dennis Jackson, uh, who used to play at Ole Miss. They believe he can play outside, he can play inside. And he's kind of like his playing style. I'm not going to call him that, but his playing style is similar to Luther as in they want to give him the ball in space. Those are players they want to get in space and let them do their thing when they get out there. Um, they got possession receivers like Makai Miller. He was a true freshman who there was a couple times last year when, when 
you know, Barrett Bannister missed a game or something like that, or they needed a big third down, he came through in the clutch. Um, Mookie Cooper, another person who can stretch the field. They they got so many pieces there, and and I haven't even got to uh, you know maybe some of their uh, the recent signing class. They got four star Joshua Manning who may be able to squeeze in there and, and get a couple snaps and things like that. And I'm sure I'm missing some people, but they're much more comfortable with the depth in the wide receiver room and how the the pieces fit into those positions. Mm -hmm. Do you think Missouri's got the running back to excel this season? Because I mean, Drake's had some great ones, Beatty, Roundtree. And I think even at Appalachian State, he had a really good running back. Did his scheme make those running backs, or did those running backs kind of make the scheme? What do you think? Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a good question. Uh, we're going to figure that out this year. I think um, they got Cody Schrader. I believe he's going to be the starter. He's just Mr. Consistency. Right. I mean, he, not, he, he may not break off a 40- or 50-yard runner type of guy, but – what he won't do is he's not going to get tackled for a loss too many times. They had a kind of a problem with that, not just with the running backs, but the wide receivers sometimes too. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it was just honestly too much dancing behind, trying to make people miss and all that. Cody Schrader's always going to lean in and get you a few yards. He's always going to get you, you know, three or four or seven or eight or something like that. He's consistent. Nate Pete, he's that guy who he, he has the breakaway speed. He can make plays on the outside and things like that. Um, he just had a couple of fumbling issues last year and, you know, the tackle for lost things. But someone that, you know, maybe you can kind of see getting some snaps early on is actually a recent signed three-star signee, uh, Jamal Roberts. So they're, they're kind of high on him. And they still got former four-star Tavoris Jones in there. Um, so that running back room, you're going to see those guys actually get some snaps because after this year, Schrader and Pete are gone. So... Uh, it's still going to be a by-committee thing, but expect Schrader to start and, and the other guys to kind of compliment him. Do you think the pressure's on with Drink? Yeah, I mean, it I, feels like this should be a year. I, now, I'm out here. I said 10. I, I, I don't know where. 11, like, yeah, I think I, I retracted that one a little bit. But I, I think 10, best-case scenario, stars align. That's what they got there in Mizzou. I, I love their defense. I, I, I love this secondary. You may have the mm -hmm. best secondary in the country. So – does that create more pressure? I know he just got an extension and everything, but that's that doesn't mean anything in SEC football. It, it feels like this is the year that Drink's expected to take that next step. Don't you agree? Yeah. Um, I would say this, though. I don't think it's like a – if he goes five and seven or something, I don't think it's necessarily a firing. There's context. And mm -hmm. something Drink said a lot last year is, uh, you know, progress isn't always linear. Um so, like, context, when I mentioned those games they lost last year, I mean, if you just look at the record, you're like 6-6, six and six, 500 again. Mm -hmm. But if you watch the games and you know what happened, you're like, ah, okay. Like, some of that stuff <laughs> isn't really – what can you do about, you know, your superstar kicker missing a 26-yard, you know, chip field goal or, you know, the, the bunt – uh, block punt thing where no one kind of really knew the situation going on so things like that you got to play that into it but um maybe one of those goal line stands that they punched it in against Georgia yeah yeah, Georgia. yeah well that was a big thing with the offensive line penalties as well as how many tackles for a loss I just said it was you know the running backs and wide receivers had a part in that a lot of that had to do you know with the offensive line they were I cannot remember the exact placement I want to say like 118th in the FBS and, and Tackles for loss uh, allowed last year. They allowed 7.88, and so 91 for the for the regular season. So that's a lot of tackles for loss. But back to your original question, they do need to seven and five. Like that's not that great, but that's where it's looking like. All right, we've got to see the next step in wins this time. You know, uh, but I think for me, 
nine and three is kind of like my that's the dream scenario for them. Eight and four is kind of like this is a good one, but I've got them at seven and five right now. What's your confidence level that the defense can still be the strength of the team with inexperience at defensive end? Last year we had Isaiah McGuire on. I mean that was our guy. He was he was arguably the best player on the team last year. He's gone to the NFL. Uh, how big of a concern is that for this defense? Defensive end is a that will be something uh, that I'll ask about. Um, there it doesn't seem like there's quite you know a couple guys where there's certain where you're just like okay this person's going to step in. Yeah. Uh, but they bring back eight starters on the defense and and to me I always. And, kind of basically include nine with Dalen Carnell because he played about 45% of the snaps Mm -hmm. as a redshirt freshman, and he led the team in takeaways with five. He had three interceptions, two fumble recoveries. So Does his dad DM you too? He DMs (laughs) us all. He's a a great guy. He's a a cool guy for sure. Uh, um, But, yeah, so you basically got nine uh, starters coming back. We count them too. Yeah, Yeah, we count them. Yeah, so um, I think the defense is in a good spot, and I think the biggest thing I want to know is kind of Last year, Blake Baker said when he came in, he kind of learned the defense they had in place. He didn't make everybody learn. He thought that was mm-hmm. it just didn't make sense. So let him learn what they've got going on. And this year, how does he sprinkle that in? And with the defensive ends and kind of not knowing what you got as far as a pass rush, I wonder, does that mean more blitzes, you know, from the linebackers or, or what you're doing with the safeties or whatever? And how much more will you lean on the secondary until you know exactly what you got at pass rush? Because they said something – I've heard some things about uh, Darius Robinson possibly starting at defensive in from def- defensive tackle. If anybody's going to do it, it'd be him. But, you know, how is that going to work, you know? What's one game you think Missouri fans want the most that's maybe the maybe realistic? I'm not saying, like, I mean, everybody wants to be Georgia. Right. But, but, of course, they gave Georgia the best game, so you could include that. But is it Tennessee after they kind of ran up the score, Arkansas, Kentucky after that stupid punt, Kansas State? I don't know. What's one game you think Missouri, Mizzou fans want the most this fall? Because it's the closest one of all the ones you named, probably Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, that, that rivalry with the state of Kansas. Um, for, for those who didn't know, I was born in Kansas. I was born oh, uh, like 15. That's more personal. <laughs> oh, well, well I, listen, listen. And I try to tell people this all the time. So I was born 15 minutes from, from Kansas State, but I'm an Army brat. I lived everywhere. I didn't really live there too long. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's where I say I'm from. So but people here, I'm from Kansas. They just assume all this stuff about me. I'm like, I don't care. I really don't. But that, that beef they got with the state of Kansas, so that includes Kansas State, they want that win. Um, and – that's going to kind of kind of help determine how their season goes because that non-conference schedule, uh, or those first five games you include yeah. Vanderbilt, people are saying they should go four on one. If you win that game, they go five and zero. Oh. So right. they got to get off to a quick start before they kind of get into that gauntlet. Yeah, and that goes back to Shane. He's, he's talking about the pressure because man, we're seeing it. I know you're seeing it at Power Mizzou, but fans are they expect to go into LSU five and zero, oh. and like you said, at worst four and one. Maybe if Kansas State's really good again. And they're, I mean, they're saying, hell, LSU's never won it for, I mean, I've heard that 20 times, uh, probably a week, the last two months. Uh, I mean, are, are, it sounds a little bit like you're saying, let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Uh, I mean, you don't want to step on people's enthusiasm. I'm not, but no, 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 no. I, I'm not saying they, they have to necessarily pump their enthusiasm, but my job is to be a realist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, That's uh, not just, our job. Just, we just <laughs> 10 and all, 11 and all. Just, no, no, just, I'll drink to that. Now, <laughs> Just being us. Well, okay, so I'm curious to know. You said uh, 11 and one or 10 and two. What 10, are those? 10 and two is like perfect season. Okay, what's what's those two losses for you? Is it Georgia and LSU? Was, uh, uh, no, actually, it was. 
I went Georgia, and then what? I went back Tennessee, and forth Tennessee. to LSU and Tennessee. Yeah, um, one of I think, them. He I think says I they're going to beat one of them. Yeah, you think they're going to beat Tennessee? Well, I think it's like a it's one or the other. Oh, so okay, it's I got be you. LSU I got, or Tennessee. Okay, I got you. Now, for for my money, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think what did I say? What the score was? I wrote about it the other day, like a combined score of like one forty or 124 something to 48 that's how much Tennessee has outscored Missouri the last two games Mm -hmm. so that seems like some type of puzzle they just can't get right so I wouldn't pick Tennessee right now but different year that really is kind of irrelevant to this year but it's it's hard to go off history that they could do that I I, I just think uh, the reason I was kind of leaning toward Tennessee is Tennessee had they struggled when you had lockdown corners Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's only a handful of teams that really could lock down Tennessee's wide receivers. The problem they ran into last year was just the depth. You guys just couldn't go the distance. And then once right. the floodgates open, I feel like you got a little bit more. That's why I was kind of leaning toward that one because you guys are a little bit deeper this year. And, and that I think that depth is going to be the one, like if you're picking one. LSU, I don't know. I, I just think LSU, they, could, that could just be nothing but hype. So yeah, a lot of teams crumble with hype. And they play Florida State right out the gate. They play, I think, Mississippi State and Arkansas before that. I mean, they, they got some landmines there. Yeah. Well, they all do. I mean, it's the SEC. You never, I mean, <laughs> shit, they about beat Georgia, you know. So, I mean, there's landmines yeah. all over the place. Right. I just I think I think a lot of people sleeping on Mizzou this year. I think they, they sneak up, and they're going to surprise somebody. There's going to be a signature victory this year. I just feel it. Yeah. It may be Tennessee, maybe LSU, maybe Georgia. I don't know. But it's going to be, it's going to be somebody. Yeah. You bet, and it uh, better be Kansas State, right? right. If, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, that one. Because I like how your schedule starts. And that Kansas State just sitting there so early mm-hmm. can derail that momentum, I think. I, I think it's just – that's a pivotal game, man. Yeah. I, I mean, they get that 5-0 and and they beat the, the reigning Big 12 champs. And, and that's a – that's a, obviously, like I just said, the big state rivalry thing going on. They're, they're feeling hot, you know, really good with that confidence going into, you know, facing LSU. So – uh, it'd be interesting to see. I'm going to give you a layup to end with. Let's say Kansas was on the schedule this year. How many how many points does Missouri win that game by? <laughs> yeah, you said it's a layup, 100. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, just, uh, 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 that would actually be a good game, though, yeah. uh, uh, because Kansas wasn't they, – they were, were they 6-6 six and six last year? Yeah, they five? went to a bowl game. Okay. They lost they, yeah, they played a, the Liberty Bowl, right. So right, right. Um, that would actually be a, a better game, but realistically I think Missouri – could probably win that game by uh, maybe a touchdown, ten points or something yeah. like that. I'm, I'm feeling. No, I think it, <laughs> I, forty I, by the end. I think it'd be a, a little bit more high scoring that people would expect, but it would be a it'd be a good game. Trust me, good nobody game. on this podcast likes Kansas, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Gerard, I really appreciate you. Before you go, tell the audience where can they find all your work. All right, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gerard C Hamilton. Um, follow my work at, at powermazoo.com. I actually just dropped my like first long story type of thing on the 2013 uh, Mizzou team that, that went to the SEC championship. Got to talk to James Franklin, Marcus Golden, uh, nice. uh, off- USC offensive coordinator, Josh Henson. Just, he just, just helped uh, Caleb Williams get the Heisman. So I got to talk to a lot of people, and, and it was a, it appeared to be a great season. I love doing the research for, for that uh, article. All right, well, check it out, man. Thank you so much. All right, so this is going to be one hell of a long episode, so I'm cutting it here. That's all we got on this episode of the show. Uh, We are going to be absolutely loaded all week long. Shows like this, tons of interviews. We got to get to them. SEC Media Days Rewind continues (laughs) tomorrow. 
I appreciate each and every one of you for showing up. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.